everybody. It's another uh, 70 movies we saw in the 70s um, mini episode. We'll see how mini it is. Um, <laughs> we have our spe- a special guest with us. Well, I'm Ben Reiser uh, uh, of uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, across the internet from me is my co-host. I'm Mike McPadden. I wrote the books uh, Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. I also associate produced Skin, the complete history of nudity in film, which you can get on Amazon or iTunes or any place else you're not illegally downloading movies. Yes, and you should. You should do that. Um, and, and with us today, a special, a special guest on our uh, mini episode, our, our show's ombudsman, uh, which is not really the right term for this. What we're gonna have Jim do, but it's the closest thing we come in it. He's it, our Jim Budsman. He's a Jim Budsman. Jim Budsman. It, it makes me yeah. want to sing Matchmaker from Fiddler on the Roof to, but but using the I word ombudsman. Ombudsman, ombudsman, buds me and om. Whatever you do, I don't know exactly what. I don't know how you even break down the different elements of the word ombudsman. But man is in there, and Jim is the man. I like to see to. like it done like Michael Keaton in Night Shift. You know, prostitution, prost, prostit, two, two. We gotta know what that means, all right? Shun, not even in there. I don't even know. To shun, to say, uh, uh, no. So, so Jim is gonna be here um, to 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 walk us through some of our errors and omissions and uh, things that we got wrong or didn't remember over the last three or four episodes. But also, I thought he'd be a great person to have because what we're going to start with is this feature that we've been doing for a little while now and didn't, did not do this last week when we had our friend Alan Broadman in to talk about Two Minute Warning, and that is to talk about what else was playing uh, the day that, uh, that the movie we're talking about opened, at least in New York City. And so I go through the, uh, the, the movie section of, um, in this case, the New York Times, and then even the, the TV page to see what was on TV that day. Um, and I thought Jim is a good guy to do that kind of stuff with, too, because he probably knows something about movies that neither of us know. Um, I'm ready to chime in if necessary. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I briefly thought about inviting Alan back to participate in this, but I haven't heard a peep from Alan since we got off the air with him. I don't know if I, he and I have been in contact. Oh, you have? Oh, look at you! Reunion. Oh, yes. yes. Well, any, you, you, do you care to share any any details of your post podcast conversation? Uh, it's been all positive. That's all I'll say. Okay, yeah. and did he? But did he enjoy being on the show? Oh, loved it. Okay. He said the time flew by. It was the best. It was like, you know, old times, but better because it's now times. So, Right on. That's great. So, okay. Uh, the New York Times actually reviewed Two Minute Warning on Saturday, November 13th, 1976. Uh, whether that's because, and maybe one of you knows, uh, if, if uh, Two Minute Warning wasn't actually previewed for critics... Or sometimes I think the New York Times just sort of pushed things off to the next day if they had too many other movies to review or if they wanted to. I, uh, now this is just me talking out of my ass, but I get the feeling that even, even films that got uh, previewed for critics, if the New York Times critic didn't like the film, they would say, no, this is a Saturday review. <laughs> like, save this for the next day. I don't know if that's true, but there, 
it, back in the 70s and 80s when I was reading Siskel and Ebert in the Sun-Times and the Tribune, they w- it, was, it wasn't necessarily that you'd get every movie that opened that Friday in the paper that Friday. That's something that became a trend, I think, more towards the late 80s and early 90s even. And, uh, and so you'd get like a Tuesday review you know, of something that opened the preview, even if it was screened for critics. And it could have been that that, that critic missed the screening or, you yeah. know, or, or it's, it's just, just something they, they caught up with. I thought Pauline Kale was pretty famous about only occasionally going to press screenings, that she really went out on her own to just see things That's when they, heard, when yeah. they got released. And, you know, yeah. every now and then, you know, of course, she, you know, she, get to see an early version of Nashville and she wrote that up and things like that. But m- mostly a lot of, uh, most of the re- re- reviews she wrote were just based on her just kind of casual movie going. Did you and guys? most spectacularly yeah. when she decided she had to, we've talked about this on other shows. Oh yes. When she had to uh, check out what the black exploitation scene was all about. Ooh. She opted for farewell. Uncle Tom oh. by Jaco Petty and Prosperity, <laughs> which when people ask me what is the single most fucked up movie you've ever seen, that's it. <laughs> well, it's not. And even I a- believe those guys are geniuses. It's brilliantly made, but I believe they use their genius for evil throughout their yeah. careers. I gotta tell yeah. you, I've never even heard of that movie except for on your podcast. I don't know how I missed it going wrong. When did you yeah. hear about it's that? It's a movie, young right? man's. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, game to try and make it through that at this point. I wouldn't recommend it <laughs> if you have a human soul. Right. But it's not even really a black exploitation film. It's part of like the Mondo tradition, right? And it's, it's No, no, not... it's a narrative film. Okay. It's about Jocko and, Pip- and Prosperi, who made Mondo Kane and Adios Africa, or Africa Audio, rather. They play themselves as documentarians who fly back on a helicopter to the antebellum south to depict... Uh, American slavery Hmm. and it was shot in Haiti under the Papa Doc regime and um, hundreds of experts I mean it is massive brilliantly mounted and executed but genuinely harrowing and horrifying to sit through Mm -hmm. and not in any way like uh, uplifting or cathartic as a result of having gone through the horror of that and it ends with a very black exploitation punchline which uh, anybody that knows about the movie knows about this part. So they cut to modern day on the beach, probably in, you know, uh, California or something. And there is a uh, black uh, Christian minister. He's got the priest collar on, big afro. And he's reading um, the diaries of Nat Turner and picturing the slave rebellion in his mind, which is another, you know, so it's like more brutality. And it ends with a little blonde girl's beach ball kind of rolls up to him. And he picks it up, and in, you know, just pressure cooker, agony, frustration, and rage, he just squeezes the beach ball, and it explodes. And that's the last shot of the movie. (laughs) Wow. I mean, the idea of Pauline Kael making it through that is inspiring. (laughs) Well, I I guess it wasn't wasn't a rave review, I'm guessing. Uh. No, no. She said I was appalled by this, and you know, God blesses everyone. What have yeah. we come to? <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is the you know, the decent reaction to have to it, right? Um, 
so uh, so anyway, diving into uh, what was what was in theaters back in November of 1976, when um, a movie that uh, uh, that Mike and I, well, that I've loved uh, since I was ten, and Mike is only a recent viewer. I've and loved lover. for two weeks <laughs> now. About yeah. And Jim, Jim, when did you first see Two Minute Warning? Was it? Uh... Uh, I saw it on Laserdisc. Uh, there was a place in Chicago that did Laserdisc rentals in the 90s, and I got a, you know, they put out a widescreen version. So I was going through like a disaster movie thing. I was rewatching the airport films, which I just did again, and uh, you know a few th- catching up on a few terrible things. And and, and do you and go con- all the way through Concord and in in that movie? Yeah, uh, yeah. In fact, we didn't do the first one. We just did the oh. we just did the last three, and then we watched Airplane again too. Uh, they were a lot of fun. But uh, you know, two minute warning. So I'm I'm guessing like early to mid '90s I think, uh, and uh, my I was not a huge fan of it the first time I saw it. I had a kind of kind of indifferent uh, you know reaction to it. Probably driven more by the reviews I had read. When, you know nobody there's there are no good capsule reviews of the film or you know in in any of the in any of the movie guides, and so. I think I just I kind of remember being slightly bored and not really um, menaced by the premise, which you know if you think about it is before Columbine and before yeah. you know things really went haywire and so uh, I just I didn't really think much of it and then about eight or nine years ago my brother Pat who was a guest on a previous few episodes ago. Told, told me he had just seen it and was really blown away by it. Um, and uh, and I wanted to see it again. A few years before that, I was really involved with John Cassavetes for about a year with his films. I organized a couple retrospectives, and I helped edit this book that was put out on, on Cassavetes in Italy. And I had reinforced uh, all those opinions uh, that I originally had about Two Minute Warning, you know, Especially by Cassavetes himself, who was, I'm sure, quoted uh, a couple of times in, in saying that it was, you know, it was just another paycheck job, you know, this, this movie's garbage. But he, he never had anything good to say about any movie uh, except his own, you know. Uh, every, you know, especially if, if if it was a, you know, a money job for him, he was. Did he have bad things it. to say about Rosemary's Baby? I don't recall specifically. I think he, I, I think he probably was like, ah, eh, you know. It's just a horror film or whatever. It's a spook. You know, he, yeah. yeah. A spook. But, but like, you know, like he was really good friends with Don Siegel, who pulled all these favors for him. And, you know, and, and occasionally you can find him bad mouthing a Siegel film. But, you know, he'll never say anything good about the, you know, Charlie Varick or anything like that. At least I couldn't. I can't find anything about right. him complimenting another filmmaker. You know, and he famously told Martin Scorsese after he made boxcar bertha okay you just spent a year of your life making a piece of shit so why don't you make something that you really believe in and, and that led to mean streets right. so so you know i had just come off all this cassavetti's work and didn't you know had no interest in revisiting it uh for for those purposes and then pat told me it was really good and then i don't think i saw it again ben until after you and i watched it after larry pierce's visit um and i was you know under the you know i had seeing the incident again and realizing how great that was and 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 so we got that blu-ray that was out and we watched it and and i was really impressed this time i mean it, it's 
it's really you know the thing the thing about the uh, the disaster movie the, uh, one other thing about the disaster movie mode which and you guys talk about how it veers from those traditions in a lot of ways and subverts those disaster traditions especially at Universal Studios which you know it's a universal film and but it's it, in the cinematography I mean all, all, most universal films and TV shows from the 70s have that same template you know where everything is uh, b- blasted with light like a like a all night Walgreens and and uh, yeah, so it looks like a Columbo episode. You think no. Two Minute Warning looks like a Columbo? No, you, no, you, I'm you saying say, oh, that, that's the that's pattern. The yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think you know Two Minute Warning. He got to bring his um, regular cinematographer Gerald Hirschfeld, who shot the incident and um, and Goodbye Columbus for Pierce, and uh, you know I think. He was just coming off a two-minute, uh, not two-minute, um, other side of the mountain, which when Larry was here, I had confirmed with him that was the most successful film of his career. It was a huge hit for Universal, right. and it spawned a sequel that he directed, and and basically, I think you guys kind of were, were were getting at this on the show. It you know it opened up the world to him at Universal. They were like, you know, he decided to do two-minute warning based on the premise, and uh, and was really interested in. In doing it, and he got to bring along his regular team. He didn't have to use the usual, you know, house people at Universal, and got to make the movie on his own terms. But it, you know, it put him right back into director jail again. Yeah. Even after Other Side of the Mountain Part Two, uh, he agreed to do that. That, that I guess didn't didn't deliver the goods at the box office either. But Other Side of the Mountain is got to be one of the biggest movies of the '70s that nobody knows today, and nobody right. has a chance to see. The Netflix, when Netflix first started streaming movies, you know, about seven or eight years ago, they put a glut of Universal films on there, and uh, I got to see both of them, both the other side of the mountain films. They're they're pretty good. I mean, they're worth, you know, decent tear jerkers. And sure. Do you? Uh, so yeah, I, I'll, as you just said, Two Minute Warning wasn't really on your mind when when you hung out with Larry at the festival but do you, you spent a lot more time with him than I did do you remember him saying anything about 2 minute warning that that well was I remember shareable? overhearing your conversation with mm-hmm. him you know which you talked about on the right. show um, I think I'm pretty sure that this was the film where he had uh, originally started with Bill Butler as a cinematographer because oh. uh, he hadn't worked with Hirschfeld for a couple years, and and they didn't get along at all, um, and he didn't have too many great things to say about Bill Butler. Um, Pat, what, what, what was the movie Pat was talking about that Bill Butler? Capricorn One. He shot oh, right. Capricorn One. Right, yeah. and, and Pat was questioning whether Himes really did his own. That's right. Stuff or not? Right. That's right. But Butler's got his name on a lot of great films and a lot of really good-looking films and. Yeah. You know, but Jaws is the only Spielberg film he shot. You know, he worked with Zygmunt after that, and then Alan Davial and uh, Dean Cundy, and then Janusz Kaminski. Is there a story about him not getting along with Spielberg on Jaws? No, not that I know of. But but uh, if we want to go back to uh, Capricorn One uh, on that on that episode, you talked about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and how. He uh, he was shooting, and then Haskell Wexler replaced him. But it was the other way around. Haskell okay. Wexler was the original cinematographer on that movie, and was, I guess, as he was known to be, 
a real difficult person arguing all the time with Milos Forman and and taking a long time to do setups and they were losing money and the arguing was continuing and um, he was fired but for years he went around telling people including me once when I had him at Eastman Museum that uh, he had just done this documentary called Underground with uh, Emil D'Antonio filming the weather underground in hiding when they you know they're all wearing wow. like you know wigs and their backs are to the camera and everything and it's you know it's a pretty interesting film and he told everyone that the FBI started threatening Milos Forman that if he didn't fire Haskell Wexler because he had directed this Weather Underground movie that uh, they would send Milos Forman back to then still Soviet occupied Czechoslovakia from, from which he had fled in 68 and uh, he went around telling everybody that for years and then his Haskell's son made a movie called uh, Tell Them Who You Are I think his name was Jeff, Jeff Wexler. And the, the movie basically begins with taking down this myth that he's been going around. And this was like three or four <laughs> I saw it like three or four years after he he told me the story. And there's Milos Foreman and Michael Douglas, you know, saying, No, no, he was fired. He was, you know we had we <laughs> let him go. He was yeah. just a pain, you know. And uh and then Bill Butler was brought on to finish that film. So wait, is that Jeff Wexler film a, a film he made about his dad? Yeah, it got distributed okay. by Think Film, uh, and you know there was a DVD for a time, so it might, you know, you might still be able to find it out there. It's cool. It's good, but Jeff, you know, Haskell's a famous uh, radical left oh, yeah. guy, yeah. but and Jeff, you know, part of the film is about the tension between them because Jeff has gone uh, conservative uh, in his lifetime. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but it's still it's a, it's a good film. It's an honest film and, and interesting. All right. Well, all of that is as as an intro to what I was playing that day. Uh, but this is great. This is exactly what I wanted on this mini app. But now, before we even get into the movies, there's two uh, things that were on Broadway that I want to touch on briefly. One of them was a show that I saw. I believe it's a show. I believe that in my um, grade school, uh, which I I think I was in. I think I was in sixth grade in 1976 um uh i remember getting taken to three on three field trips to see um entertainment uh uh live or semi-live well well one of them and i think every kid got dragged to this was that goddamn thing the New York experience, Mike. Did you have never to, saw it? You never got my whole life. You never no. got taken to the New York. They experience. went. Yeah, no. They I, something happened. I didn't get to go. Where was it? It was this thing. It was in a theater like around Rockefeller Center. Right? Yeah, but it, it was there for years, and it wasn't really a theater. It was almost right. like a. It was almost like a thing you'd bump into at Disney World or something like that. Right. Epcot That's exactly Center. what it was like. You yeah. know, you sit in there and it's like this dumb multimedia. Thing. It had like different screen panels on this stage, and stuff was projected onto it. It was the history of New York, as told through still photographs and I guess film clips. Uh, I don't think there was like a actual any live. There, I can't remember. Maybe the narrator. The one was thing, on you know what it was? I had the flu. I couldn't go that day. But no. everybody told me the best part was uh, Nathan Hale getting hanged. 
Because they had like a dummy <laughs> oh, of Nathan Hale. Yeah, there you go. Right. It was that kind of shit. Yeah. It was almost like a haunted yeah. house. Like a, yeah. Uh -huh. Chicago um, had something similar sure. around Water Tower. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I don't know if they had multimedia, like, you know, dummies dropping from the ceiling or anything, but they had, uh, you know, it was a 70 millimeter. 15-minute movie presented on a curved screen. It was called Here's Chicago. And right. I went to see Where's Boston in, like, 1980, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so that was one thing I got dragged to, I'm sure more than once in my school career. Another thing that they took us to, I don't and this might have been in junior high school, was Beatlemania. The Broadway wow. show. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I saw the movie when it came out. <laughs> there was a movie? Yeah, yeah eighty one. Oh, yeah, God, it didn't get damn. released. It didn't get released in Chicago. Oh. I remember they were announcing it was coming out, and it just it never wow. was. Um, Saw it in New Jersey. Was who was in the movie? Was Marshall Crenshaw in the movie? I think it was the original cast. Yeah, and was that yeah. Crenshaw? Was Crenshaw? I don't even know. He was John Lennon, I right? Think, at and, some uh, point, I don't remember if he was in the movie, but that Paul guy Mitch, he was in it for sure. So okay, so Marshall, Marshall Crenshaw's played both John Lennon and Buddy Holly. There you go. Oh yeah, that's right. And Obama. Yeah, it makes perfect sense too. Um, I uh, <laughs> I once had I don't know if I can tell this. I guess well, who the hell cares, right? At this point, yeah. Um, I once had a yeah. What whatever. What, what bridges have I not burned? Right. I once had a had a job um, that I was completely unqualified for, but got only because I knew um, the person who was in charge of the record label. Uh, there's a singer-songwriter. His name is Freedy Johnston. Uh, sure, yeah. And he used to be on uh, Bar None Records. And I knew Glenn Morrow, who was uh, the head of Bar None Records. And he, um, I was always trying to get him to sign my band or put our record out. And he never did. But he did He did give us a little bit of money to like go into a studio and record. But um, Freedy was going out on tour, and they needed a road manager. And Glenn suggested I do it. And... Um, I said, sure. I mean, this was like the greatest job I'd ever heard of, you know, Get, going out on the road with a with a rock band. And, and, and the thing was that Freedy, for the most part of this tour, and I was out on the road with him for a month, and part of that, he was on a bill where he was opening for the Lemonheads and Soul Asylum, who were both on tour together with their biggest albums ever. Uh, Grave, Grave Dancers Union was the Soul Asylum they were the headliners, and that was their big album. And the Lemonheads had just put out uh, Shame About Ray, which turned out to be their biggest album. But the first night of being on the road with Freedy, we were actually in New Jersey, and it wasn't part of that uh, lineup. He was opening for Matthew Sweet at some club um, in New Jersey. I can't remember what it was. Um, but So that was my very first night doing any of this stuff. And they, they expected me to drive the van, and but also be their roadie, and I'd never done any of that stuff. So I was supposed to oh. like I was supposed to like set up the drums. <laughs> uh, I was supposed to like uh, tune the guitars and restring the guitars if they broke, and restring the guitars oh, after every show. Yeah. I had I mean I had re I had strung guitars in my life, but I'd never right. touched a drum kit in, in, in all my years with a band. Right. Um, and the van that they had had terrible steering that would just it was like a Ouija board you were holding it would just like pull you in all these different <laughs> directions. But anyway, the first night, opening for Matthew Sweet, I was backstage, and it was Matthew Sweet and Freedy Johnston, and then Marshall Crenshaw came backstage. He was there to see, I guess, Matthew Sweet, and um, I was hanging out with them, and they said, oh, let's go outside, and I, I had never, I was like, Mike might know, like, when I was living in New York, I, 
I was like a teetotaler. I, I never, I never really drank. Uh, I never really drank at all until I was in college, and this was after college. But I still wasn't really a drinker of any kind. I never knew how to drink beer. I couldn't understand how to even get it down my throat. But, um, but I certainly never smoked pot. And but anyway, these three guys went outside behind the club and at, invited me to go with them. And it turned out, oh, they were going to like smoke a joint together. So. I watched uh, Marshall Crenshaw, Matthew Sweet, and Freddie Johnson get high, and then I drove all night uh, <laughs> in a horrible van to our next venue. So that's actually not that exciting of a story, but that's, <laughs> that's my Marshall Crenshaw story. When I was covering Lollapalooza 94 for Hustler, uh, I watched Kelly Deal smoke heroin, and people were just like <laughs> so nonchalant, like she was drinking a Diet Coke. Yeah. I was like, is everybody aware that this woman's smoking heroin right before she goes on stage? <laughs> yeah. Well, apropos of nothing. Kelly has, uh, she's uh, talked about her struggles with that, so I don't feel so bad revealing that. I was at this one Pixies show, uh, a band I never really cared about at all. But Oh, my God. Jesus. I love them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was at this one show on their reunion tour, and it was outside of Philadelphia, and they're, um, I, I, I think they're famous for, they're famous for being one of these bands that says nothing to the audience, has no right. charisma at all. When it, you know, there's no, no in between song banter. They don't talk right. to each other or nothing. They just play their fucking songs and get off stage. Yeah. But in the middle of this Pixies reunion show, the power, like, so one of their amps, the power, they lost power to it and they couldn't play. And it lasted for like 15 minutes. And about five minutes in, they realized they were going to have to, do something and they just started talking to the audience and 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 they all went around telling jokes that they so it was like uh black francis told a couple of like you know sort of like really sticky like hacky jokes and, right. and, that and jokes. Yeah, yeah right and they all did that and i was like wow i'm 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 somehow attending what has to be the most interesting pixie show of all time no, in which no. they actually Dude, we went to first off <laughs> We went to we should we should be beaten to death because we went to go see they might be giants in 1987. Yeah, and they <laughs> but opened. The upside of that was they opened, and I was like, "This is like the f- I, I, this is the greatest thing I've seen." Like I can't believe how great this is. Like it yes, was different it than wasn't... Red Cross, which was like personally exciting. I was like. This is a fucking band that could fill up a fucking Madison Square Garden. No, absolutely. But, I mean, they didn't do anything out of the ordinary. Like, I don't know of anyone right. else who's ever seen a, a Pixie show where they spent 10 minutes telling jokes to the audience. That's my point. Oh, no, no, no. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. That's all. That's all I mean when I say You got it. Yeah. Uh, it's similar to when I saw Bob Mould after Husker Du and he did a solo acoustic show at Maxwell's and I'd seen Husker Du play, like, you know, a million times. And, he, again, he'd never said a word to anybody on stage or to the audience. They just would right. blow through 30 songs and leave. And now I'm at the solo acoustic show with him, and the crowd is literally sitting on the floor of Maxwell's, which is a crazy thing to do. Something to do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something to do, yeah. Um, yeah. And, like, halfway through the show, he stopped, and he said, hey, and all of a sudden he's talking to us. He's like, I'm getting a weird vibe. Like, I'm not getting, <laughs> you know, you guys don't seem to be interacting with me. And I'm sitting there going, you fucker, you spent the last, you know, seven years not saying a word to anybody in any yeah. club at any time, and now you're wondering why we're not expecting to, like, have a back and forth with you? Anyway, it's weird. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Beatlemania, New York Experience, and I think this this is what I'm getting to. This one show that was playing in 76, I think I saw it. 
as part of a class trip. I think I might have also got taken to it a second time by my grandparents. But man, was I into this show. I had the soundtrack album. And it's amazing to me that there was a soundtrack album. But I'm talking about The Magic Show with Doug Henning. Oh, Doug yeah. Henning. Yeah. Yeah. Did either of you ever see The Magic Never Show? Never saw it. But no. I, I did try to watch. There is a semi-movie version of right. it on Amazon Prime that I started watching. I think that's like yeah. a TV special, isn't it? I think that's what it is, yeah. 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 First time I ever heard of The Magic Show was, uh, remember Rita Rudner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Comedian. When, she, when <laughs> yeah. she first started making appearances, I think she might have been on one of the Dangerfield specials or HBO. Yeah, yeah. That was part of her joke where she was, you know, she talked about the Broadway shows she was in. I was an actress, and then she was like, I played a hooker in the magic show and a hooker in this play. And you sure. know, uh, and she named them all, and that was that was her big... But I remember she said the magic show. I was like, what was the magic show? Like, But that had a big, like... It uh, ran for a long SCTV time, right? connection. It had oh, a what? It Ivan Reitman, I think, is the producer, the back of Paul Schaefer. Uh, yes, sure. I think was the musical right. conductor, yeah. Well... In my world, and I don't know, maybe it wasn't the way, this way outside of New York, but that was the biggest thing in the world as a kid. The it magic a, show it was a phenomenal. Doug yeah. Henning was like Elvis. Like Doug Henning yeah, was like, yeah. well, for us when we were that age yeah, in New York, yeah, yeah, for sure, right. Well, that so he wasn't a national celebrity. Oh yeah, he was. He was. He was well known coast to coast. Yeah, he was. He was like the you know the hippie version of David Copperfield. Right. And, and then the thing about Doug Henning is he died young. He suddenly got yeah. liver cancer and yeah. was kind of was, that was one of that was like one of the first celebrity deaths. I was like, I can't believe Doug Henning is dead because he. I remember in '85 uh, on SNL, both Rich Hall and Martin Short did impeccable Doug Hen- yeah. Henning imitations. Like illusions. Like one was better than the right. other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. 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 Well, was so, Martin Short involved with that? Was he was he around for that? Is he was he no, part of the chorus like or something? A lot of the same basic people from that Canadian Godspell production. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, like maybe maybe Andrea Martin was in it or somebody like that. I don't, I don't know. We have to. You know, I need cast. to. I do need to check that out. I need to see if I yeah. still have that album. Um, and the only other thing I wanted to mention, Broadway wise, was at the Helen Hayes Theater. Uh, Equus, which was a sort of an infamous show back yeah. in the day that I never saw, but uh, uh, starring in Equus at that time was Anthony Perkins. Wow! I don't think he was the original cast. No. Did, well, no. Burton did it in London. Did he ever come to Broadway yeah. to do it? I think he must have been the original on Broadway. Oh, but wow. then Leonard Nimoy took over for a <laughs> while. Wow. Yeah, for like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this yeah, is. And- this is Equus. It says Equus gallops into its third year. So this was yeah, oh, yeah. That had a scary commercial. Yeah, yeah. It was just a horse galloping, and it was just a close up on like a drawing, like a graphic, like a soul bass image of a chess piece. And is that a is that show about a guy having sex with a horse? He's he's obsessed with the horse, and he kills it in a self. Uh, Sacrif- it's like some kind of ritual. I think he blinds uh, a bunch of horses. Oh. Right. He, blinds them. he blinds them. That's it. Yeah. yeah, and it's weird, and it, it is sexual, and and it's weird. It's a lot of nudity. Way. Yeah, is yeah. that the movie? Dude. Yeah. Oh, there is a the movie, horse. right? Yeah, Sidney yeah. Lumet film with. Uh, yeah, who's the star uh, of the movie? Uh, Peter Firth, who had, who oh, did yes. it on. Did it on? I think he was on the original London cast too. And the big upset at the Oscars was. Richard Dreyfus 
getting Goodbye Girl Best Actor over Richard Burton. That's right. And John and when Richard Dreyfuss hosted SNL, John Belushi gave him a, gave him grief about that, if I remember right. Or maybe it was Bill Murray. I can't so remember. wait a minute. Are Should there have two, been Burton. Are there two characters? There's like the the guy who's obsessed right. with the horse, and then his psychiatrist. Is that who Richard Burton was? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and he's Burton's like he's the putting. The, it's happened. The the act has happened. Like the the, the blinding of the horses has happened. Oh. And he's trying to put the pieces together and in the movie you don't you and i'm sure it's in the play too you you see it acted out towards the end it, you know this well what an amazing premise for, <laughs> for a Broadway show. yeah um, that was a huge hit that ran for years yes. yeah 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 um get wigged out yeah okay so now as we move over to the movies the first ad that i see is for something which i had never heard of and it's interesting because we talked about we talked about Cousin uh, Cousin Cuisine, right? Yes. And we talked about Cousins. But this movie, uh, directed by Sergio Martino, is Loving Cousins. Oh, yeah. Now, what is that? Is uh, that the same plot in Italian? God, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, just, I've just started getting into Sergio Martino movies this year, and uh, that's one I don't know. I imagine it's a, it's just a kind of, it's a, it's a, a farce or a comedy, right? It's not one of his yeah, cards. No, vaguely I don't think with so. It. I think I may have seen it on cable. Hey, here's but here's a pull what? quote from Box Office Magazine. It says, Belongs in a class with Summer of 42. The Carlo Ponti production has been given a sumptuous look and the presence of a fresh young face in Susan Player. You know what? I think that might be in teen movie hell. I think that's where <laughs> okay. I saw it. Okay. Who, who was the it actress might be in you your mentioned? Book. Susan yeah. Player, who I've never heard of. No. Like there are some movies that are just lost in the, you know, mania of finishing that book. But you know, Cat Ellinger, who's guested on here and uh, my busted guts partner, she wrote the definitive book on Sergio Martino, all the colors of Sergio Martino. Oh well, we got to ask her next time we have her around yeah. about loving cousins. And she'll say, "I fucking love that film." <laughs> <laughs> okay, now here's. Uh, this is I, this is this is a movie that that we could talk about for a billion different reasons, um, uh, but let's just touch on a couple of them. Um, uh, now, uh, according to the New York Times, this movie is called just, and it's in quotes, "Misty Beethoven." But I, I yeah. is, did the it get York, released yeah. under that title and not the open? Is the opening of "Misty Beethoven" the opening too, of Misty too Beethoven. offensive for the Times? Yeah, and the Times, which would not... Now, there's an ad for that in there? Yes, and it says Where's it X. playing? It's, and, oh, by the way, it's not just playing at one, like, porn theater. It's playing. No, it was treated like an art film. Yeah, mm. it was playing in Manhattan which, you know, at the Rialto yeah. East, in Brooklyn at the Oceana. Oh, that's a, that's a yeah. movie theater I haven't yeah. thought about in forever. That, yeah, it's, that was a great theater. I love that place. It's playing Queens at the Drake. Is in Westchester. Yeah. No, it, we, Suffolk, it was released like Jersey. an art film at a time when that could still happen, because normally the Times would not print just any porno ad. Um, but I think that got a different kind of release, and it was treated as an X-rated film rather than a triple X-rated. It, it actually it got is. the it actually got the MPAA rating. Yeah, it's yeah. well, it says X on this, right? Um, I don't know if that means anything, but did, got, did I, Barbara they, Broad- I don't know if it did or not. They probably just slapped it on there. But it's a great movie. It's Radley Metzger. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Well, directed by other, Henry Paris. As Henry it says Paris. Well, right. that was his hardcore right. name. Yeah. Yeah. Did did uh, Barbara Broadcast and Naked Came the Stranger get the same 
kind of I treatment? I don't think so. I think yeah. just Nisty Beethoven. Yeah. Um, well, it's got two pull quotes in the ad. Um, one of them is from Al Goldstein writing for Midnight Blue, <laughs> at least according to the Times. Right. That's the thing. The Times wouldn't put those words in there. Yeah. So they made up like different <laughs> publication openings. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because, you know, I'm going through the daily news like from the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And What's, they got weird about something. So talk dirty to me was changed to talk nice to me with nice <laughs> quotes. But, yeah. And they wouldn't put screw. They'd put Al Goldstein's Mac. But uh, So Al Goldstein says, Hollywood porn is here right now. That's the pull quote. <laughs> and then Borden Scott in After Dark says, a classic piece of erotica. Okay. All right. Thank you. you. Misty Beethoven playing all over. Um, underneath that ad is an ad for car wash. All right, seventy six uh, finest, a lovable film. Did uh, did uh, Mike? Did you see that in a the theater? No, no, I didn't either. I don't think. Me Maybe too. I NBC did. Maybe I did. movie of the week. I think or yeah, fr- Friday night movie. Um, at the Radio City Music Hall is a movie that just seems so unappealing to me. Like I can't even put it in words. Um. Richard Chamberlain, Gemma, oh, Gemma Craven. Slipper in the Rose. Slipper in the Rose, baby. Oh, yeah, I remember that. The Look Story of Cinderella. Pretty yeah. expensive flop, right? And it's a mu- I think it's a full musical, too. I've never seen oh. it, but... Ooh. Wow. I think it out. is. I could be wrong about that. I know that there's that other... There's the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella, which was on TV. And- right. uh, Judith Chris says it is a music. Judith Chris in the Saturday Review said, A wonderfully lush, lilting, and lavish musical. A treat for the eye and ear and the young in heart. The young in heart. Okay. Okay, I Judith. I that appealing to no children. <laughs> uh, by the way, Mike, your guy John Simon says, A feast of performances... Fanciful and lush and gently satirical. Mm. He was very high on cocaine at that time. <laughs> and most other times. Did you guys mention that uh, Kenneth Mars and What's Up Doc took his, you know, his, his name is Hugh Simon, that he took yes. his voice yeah. from Mike, John Mike Simon? mentioned that, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. But that's great. That's how John Simon sounded, like Kenneth Mars and What's Up Doc? Well, it's, Kenneth Mars is a little more uh, over the top, but... Uh, not it's it's if you, you, there's you can some, find him on like on David Susskind and, and Dick, stuff Dick Cavett he yeah, was Dick on Dick Cavett yeah. yeah um okay here's a movie that I don't think I've ever seen but I knew of quite a bit back in the day it's got the tiniest ad all it's got is the title of the film Embassy 49th and then a Judith Christ pull quote and the Judith Christ pull quote is boy they love that Judith Christ right um, oh yeah her quote is it's a ball of a brawl and she's talking about the movie The Ritz, which was that oh, was also just a show, it again. wasn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Terrence McNally, who just yeah. who died from COVID a few months ago, he it was a uh, it was All his right. big it was his yeah. big big break of a play. It's really good, acclaimed I, play. Yeah, I just watched it again, and um, is it Jack Weston mo- in that movie? I, yes, yes, Jack Weston, Rita Moreno, Rita Moreno, Treat Williams, F. Murray Abraham, Jerry Stiller. Kay Ballard, uh, and all filmed in England. Uh, you know, uh, Richard Lester directed, and he was living there. And uh, there, I think maybe there's an, one exterior shot in New York. But they might have recreated that in England too. But uh, you know, it all takes place at a bathhouse. And uh, Jack Weston is a uh, Cleveland 
salesman, I think, and he's he's on the run from his crazy brother-in-law, who's played by Jerry Stiller, who has you know put an Italian. Uh, I gotta watch this movie. Uh, this sounds great. Yeah, I'll, I'll lend you my yeah. DVD. Oh yeah, great. Thanks. Yeah, we almost watched it for our gay uh, episode of Crackpot, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. It's 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 got some big laughs in it, and uh, uh, I was recently watching Gator. And Jack Weston is so goddamn funny oh, in yeah. that movie. He's yeah, but great. they have that. It's him and he and Alice Ghostly, Don't yeah. they get? Don't yes. they both get murdered in that? They That's do. Such a it's weird. A, it's a nasty <laughs> twist, right? It's yeah. really. You know, you're watching a '70s movie when those two get burned alive and like yeah. a, right. Sheesh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a that's right. That and and then uh, uh, what what Bert does finally does to jerry reed at the very end there was yeah. slams that like shack door down on him and uh gator is is pretty good and and it, you know jerry reed is so nasty in that movie yeah it's a real it's a real a, a different performance from jerry <laughs> yeah jack weston also very good in uh a new leaf elaine may oh yeah sure yeah elaine may's movie um, on top of the Ritz, there's an ad, another X-rated ad. This one for blow dry. Anyone ever see blow dry? No. Well, you might need to check that out. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Never know where you find it. Uh, and then on the next page is a full page ad for Two Minute Warning, which we talked about the ad last week. It's got all the, it's got all the people's faces at the bottom, but but not even their character name, just sort of like <laughs> their character description. Right. Um, the SWAT team leader, the father, <laughs> the co-ed, eternal bachelor, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, right, and the heavy, the heavy better, Jack the heavy Klugman better. is yeah. the heavy better. Um, oh, and Heston is above everyone else. His his uh, his crosshairs picture is separate and alone. He he was he was an above the title was performer. The yeah. Uh, and then after that, here's a movie I don't know shit about. Uh, Glenda Jackson, starring as I guess Sarah. Yeah, is it Sarah Bernhardt? Sarah Bernhardt, yeah. the Incredible this is Sarah. One of the, f- one of the few Richard Fleischer films I've never seen. Because you will avoid biopics at all costs. No, that's a big part of it. But uh, I've, I've never heard anything terribly good or biopic i'm not aware of that movie at all (laughs) and sarah bernhardt talking okay another 70s thing when you were being dramatic as a kid you would be called sarah oh yeah oh yeah yeah but now but i always took that as like also like a brooklyn jewish thing like that that was a there was a particularly jewish reference in my family for some reason i never heard that before but i love it yeah. yeah no it uh calm it down sarah bernhardt oh that's totally yeah. what my 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 aunt rhoda would say that is that regular sarah bernhardt <laughs> all the time take yeah, it easy sarah bernhardt yeah the yeah. only thing what yeah the, which was sort of brings us to this thing we're gonna do this right mike we're gonna watch the yeah. movie they made on gemini which is oh yeah the absolutely the 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 lines I've quoted more than anything else in my entire life are the are two two lines from the commercial for this. It wasn't. It was even an off Broadway show. It wasn't even Broadway. I don't think. I think it was Broadway. You think it was Broadway? Okay, Broadway. I think it was. I think it was nominated for a bunch of times. Albert Inurato's yeah. Gemini, which had, which was about an Italian American family living in New York. And it's got the one scene where they're all sitting outside at this table. It's I think it's a birthday party, right? 
Yeah, it's for the kid who's home from college. Right, yeah. but they're serving up these plates of pasta or something, and the and is it the mom character? <laughs> Reach, somebody knows, reaches yeah. over and says, "I'm not hungry. I'll just pick." As she like eats off of somebody else's plate, <laughs> and it sucks up. Yeah. But then the other one is like a big dude is is just really chowing down on a piece of bread or something. It's his mother slaps him and goes, "Take human bites." Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which my friend Mickey said he heard somebody yell at uh, Dawn of the Dead. I've I've seen the commercial. I think. Mike, it may have been you who put it up on the the, Gil, the Gilbert yeah. Facebook site when Danny Aiello yeah. was on uh, yeah. Gilbert's yeah, podcast because yeah. he's in he's in it right he's in the play yeah for sure but yeah. I don't think he made it to the movie version but it was uh, no that was a, that was a staple for many years but Chad but, but our friend Chad's entire persona was built around the line I'm not hungry I'll just pick every time we went <laughs> to a diner he'd reach over steal somebody's food and say I'm not hungry I'll just pick all right. <laughs> And he wasn't joking. Uh, <laughs> underneath the Incredible Sarah is an ad for uh, Woody Allen as, as Woody Allen as the front. The front. And yeah. and Liz Smith says a brilliant movie. I wept at the end. So that might have been that might have been the first Woody Allen movie I saw in a theater because that's before Annie Hall, right? Yeah, I think it's the only yeah. year of the seventies where he didn't have a film he directed in release. Um, in some years, I yeah, think, I think there might right. have been more than yeah. one. So that's, that's the uh, it's the in between Love and Death and Annie Hall. Yeah, yeah, and I think I was mostly excited at that point about seeing Zero Mostel, who <laughs> I had loved from the producers at that point. Oh, um, so so sad and tragic in that film. Yeah, yeah, he kills himself in that film. Yeah, right? jumps out the window. Bummer, man. Now here's here uh, this this hadn't opened yet, but it was but it was going to start on Tuesday, which I find to be an interesting day to start a movie. Although this might have been, maybe this was coming up on Thanksgiving week, and then these were like Thanksgiving yeah, releases, for sure. So starting Tuesday, uh, a full page ad for Carrie, based on the Runaway oh. bestseller. It was just opening. Apparent. Well. It says starts Tuesday at red carpet theaters everywhere. So maybe it had had a limited release. It might have been expanding, yeah. Because it has a bunch. Well, it's got it's got reviews, pull quotes from Time Magazine, The Washington Post, and the Philadelphia Daily News. So that makes me feel I like I think it red did. carpet theaters or, you know, boss theaters or whatever they say. I think that usually right. means they've adding a bunch of theaters, yeah. Hmm. Well, Pauline Kale went nuts over that one. Mhm. Yeah, for some reason, I didn't see it on its initial release. I didn't. I would have been scared. I think I saw it. I think I saw it as a double feature, like later on. Would you? Would you have been able to get to see our films easily at no. that time? Uh, no, me? no, not not, not me, not, not easily. But I think I had seen. Um, I know I had seen Blazing Saddles by then in a theater. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, I guess not. But but here I am saying that, but that was the week that I saw Two Minute Warning. So, I mean, <laughs> I could. I, I think it had to be a little less obvious But it obvious doesn't look Carrie. like an R-rated movie. We, no. It looks like, we kept saying, it looks like, like know, an airport, airport. Yeah. 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 So you could sneak that in. No, I wasn't allowed till I was 12, really, to see an R-rated movie. So. Yeah, I saw Blazing Saddles at 10, and then... You know, peep, you know, they kind of got to see a few here and there for the next two years. And then by the time I was 11, 12, 13, the floodgates were open. 
First one I saw was Alien. Oh, right. 79. In the theater. Fall of of 79. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Colonial Theater in Keensburg, New Jersey. Yeah. Mm. I think I've mentioned this before that I saw Alien at the on the last night of summer camp that year. I was up at a sleepaway camp in in Freedom, Maine, and um, for some reason they took the whole camp to like a movie theater that had like a, it was a multiplex, and yeah. I think you could choose between three or four things. And the older kids, you know, I think I must whatever I was, I was I guess I was thirteen in seventy nine, uh, so I was like the oldest part of the oldest boy cabin and we went to see alien which was terrifying the, even the idea of seeing it was terrifying but we'd also we'd had the graphic novel comic version of it the all, heavy metal comic, the heavy yeah, metal yeah. comic all summer long and we so we had like stared at every single page of that comic for right, like a right. month straight every night before bed and so i sort of knew what was coming but it was still terrifying and there was a i wasn't move- scared by it yeah. I, yeah, I thought it was cool, but I didn't. I, didn't oh. find, I was scared sitting there waiting for it, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool. It's a monster movie." Well, even like when the when the did you know that the mon- that the alien was going to burst oh, out the of the chest burster? You knew yeah. that was coming. Yeah, because I mean, I saw it like in October, so it had been talked about everywhere at that. point. Well, what about so, the uh, when he's peering over the egg at the beginning and it busts out? Yeah, I mean, I was probably nervous and stuff, but yeah. I just, it, it didn't have the scare effect on me. Hmm. Hmm. Look at you. What were you going to say, Jim? Oh, that there was one of those movie novels. What were they called, Mike? The photo novels? Photo novels, yeah. They had, there was one of those for Alien too, wasn't there? I don't think there Maybe was. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I know yeah, that I there was, so. you know, when Fisher Price used to have those. Oh yeah, those those those. Uh, yeah, what what the, was it called? The the, the projector. That yeah, I had, yeah. The I had like Mickey Mouse cartoons. Mickey yeah. Mouse cartoons, but Kenner did one right. that was, did a version that was compatible, where you could look at it on yeah. the Fisher Price version. They didn't. Yeah. They did a you know a, a hand crank yeah. alien. Did not include yeah. the chestburster scene though. They rushed out a bunch of alien stuff for kids that Christmas, and that bizarrely was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> They, I, I wanted that doll. I didn't. Get I remember it. the comic was was based on like an earlier cut or maybe even the shooting script because it had a bunch of stuff in it that didn't make yeah. it to the movie. Um. Anyway, on the next page we have Barry Lyndon, which was playing uh, all over the place. Must have been a re-release. Huh? I guess that, that's a seventy-five. Yeah, it it was telling you that it had won four Oscars, so maybe it yeah. was like maybe it yeah. was parading around. Holiday it. release, probably. Yeah. Oh, that is weird because that's way after the Oscar. I wonder if it had been playing straight since. Could probably be. somewhere, yeah, in the city. Uh, and then uh, Cousin Cuisine, Cousin 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 yeah. at the Paris. Uh, Ubiquitous Cousin Cousin, which I don't, yeah. I've never seen. I don't think. Not me neither. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah, how is it? It's okay. It's it's a little classier than cousins, you know. A little little more <laughs> little more French than cousins. It's nice. It was that that actress uh, Marie France Pizier. Is she the one who's in? Yes, it? she is. And she was. Is she the, she's the one in Stardust Memories, or is that Marie oh. Christine Barrault? I I'm always confusing those two. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then in four in four track stereo sound at the Cinema Two. Uh, in concert and beyond, Led Zeppelin. The song remains the same. All right, uh, quadraphonic. Has anyone? I've never sat through that whole thing. What? Oh, oh yeah, God. yeah. 
I sat through it a bunch. Yeah. The guy who wrote heavy metal movies, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I but, saw it at the A Street Playhouse a couple of times when I was in high school at midnight. Last time I checked, it was on HBO Max. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I've yeah, seen, I've seen, I've watched sections of it, but you know, every yeah. time it goes into that fantasy shit, I'm like, right? They each have a, they each have their own yeah. like fantasy segment, right? Each right. Other. That's the best part. Yeah. It's like the, it's the most unique thing. It's, it's, it's long, and it feels yes, long. even as a, you know, dopey kid, it felt long. It can't be that long because they were showing it at twelve, and then at two twenty and four forty. Yeah, it's a five. It's a five minute intermission because it's a good two hours and fifteen yeah. minutes. I mean, is the Moby but Dick drum solo is twenty five <laughs> minutes? Yeah, but that that's another thing about showtimes is they didn't they didn't, you know people would come in and out. They didn't allow time for clearing theaters and. Right, it was, you know, I, I remember. Yeah, you could just sit there. Yeah, well, we were talking about theaters. that. Yeah, we were yeah, talking about that and, and Psycho and how Hitchcock right. was the first one to insist people come for the beginning or whatever. Yeah, and then Otto Preminger did it with uh, Bunny Lake is missing too. Oh, really? Yeah, that was. In fact, the zombies recorded a, a radio spot and a trailer for him where they tell everyone to come on time to the oh. tune of. Uh, uh, time of the season no it's it's the song that's in the movie but it's um uh, i'll have to i'm gonna have to look it up but uh it's uh it's it's great so next to the ad for song remains the same as a movie that i've never seen but man did i know this title and did this seem like it was one of these movies that played forever just out of reach that's the zombie song oh sorry that's okay uh Giancarlo Giannini and Laura Antonelli and How Funny Can Sex Be? Never uh, saw it. It played forever. Right? It, pl- it was playing, it was re-released in New York into the 80s. Yeah. Oh, in Chicago, there was always, always a Laura Antonelli movie playing. Something. Mr. Skin will tell you that. Yeah, yeah, that one, or Wife Mistress, or... Um, Till Marriage, Til Marriage Do Us Part. Yeah. That was always around, too. Yep. I don't think I'd know Laura Antonelli if I fell over her. Uh, she she's, is. The, uh, she's uh, sweet to look at. She's the second lead in uh, L'Innocente, The Innocent, Visconti's The Innocent. Did you watch it, Ben, when we ran it I online didn't. this summer? I didn't, but I have seen it, but I still can't picture who she is. She's she's Giannini's uh, wife in that film, and then Jennifer O'Neill is his mistress. That's about the classiest film she was ever in. Yeah, Visconti's final movie. Uh, of course, it wouldn't be New York in the seventies if we didn't have two by Lena Wertmuller, Seven Beauties, yeah. and Swept Away at the Cinema Village. Sure, um, both released by Cinema Five, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, and then um, for a dollar at the Seventy Second Street East, you could see Robert Shaw and Jean-Vierre Bujol. In Swashbuckler, which I don't think I have seen. No, I never saw it. That also yeah. played Radio City, and I was like, "Man, eh. yeah, that was a big that was a big flop." I think it was a big Universal. Yeah, they 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 rolled a lot of money on that. It was like you know, pirate movies are back, and that they, that got tried at least once a decade, right? Mm-hmm. For <laughs> yeah. for the sixties, seventies, and eighties, and really. In the 90s, even, and then didn't catch on. It was on twice until, in the 90s because you had Pirates of Penzance and the Pirate movie, and then in 86, Polanski's Pirates. Right. I saw Polanski's and Pirates it, when it came out in the theater. And in the 90s, it was Cutthroat Island. Right. And then it really wasn't until Johnny Depp that 
anyone wanted to see a pirate movie again? Um, at the Guild 50th was a movie that the UPI described in its pull quote as the funniest movie in 50 years. Okay. Kentucky Fried Movie. Nope. No, that's, that's sorry. That's the next year. The Groove Tube. Nope. No, I'm going to get this. The funniest movie in 50 years is Silent Movie. Yes, you are right. All right. What did you do? Yes. Look that up, you son of a bitch. No. No, I was trying to figure what like what would be the connection to that. Oh. To the silent since the silent and era. And it was fi- since the silent era. Smart. You like, can you can decode a pull quote like nobody's business. That's a <laughs> That's a Jeopardy <laughs> style. That's a Jeopardy style yeah. uh, question. I was trying to think like what it was what it was yeah, how it was going to tie into the actual movie. Um at the Cinema 2, which I thought we just said was something else, but maybe there was more than one theater at the Cinema 2. I wonder if that's how maybe they were fitting in more than one, uh, as many screenings of uh, the Led Zeppelin movies. They were bouncing it from like theater to theater. Um, but, well, that that was a pain in the ass back in the days of 35 mm I mean, to run a print. Yeah, yeah. no. Um, but also at Cinema 2... Um, uh, a film by Francois Truffaut. Roger Corman presents Small Change. Which opened wide. That that played like Brooklyn and stuff. That played in neighborhood theaters. That was Amazing. that was Corman's uh, thing, right? He got it. He got it in the neighborhood theaters, and he got. Yeah. I don't know about Small Change, but he got uh, uh, you know Cries and Whispers and Armacord into drive-ins, at least in the dubbed version. Wow! Wow! Yeah. <laughs> That's Imagine great. that. Good Lord. Hey, there's uh, something we could do this, this semester yeah. if we wanted to. <laughs> yeah. And I think Corman did one more Truffaut film after that. I think The Green Room was was one of his, too. And that was a big flop. So I think and that was pretty much the end of Corman releasing uh, right. European well, movies. He did uh, Christiani F. Oh, Corman? That was a New World film? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't the know. The dubbed that. version. Right. They released simultaneously. They put the original in art theaters and then the dubbed version in neighborhood theaters. Went white. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. And that was that was the year of the Let's Dance album. I remember. So everybody was Bowie crazy again. And yeah. And uh, they, they he was on. You know, you didn't see an ad for Christian F without seeing David Bowie. So. Oh no no that was the big poll. yeah. yeah. Uh, small change in the ad. It says the film novel is published by Grove Press. So you could read, wow. you could read Small Change, and see it. Um, here is um, a a double feature that is melting my mind, and I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you what the main what the main feature was, and you try to guess what the plus was. Okay. All right. Um, funny, fabulous. Norman, is that you? Red Fox and Pearl right. Bailey and Norman, is that you? What, what, what did they add to Norman, is that you? Uh, That's a movie I have seen. Yeah, me too. Oh, I have So I'm going to think that it's just something else completely unrelated. Is it, well, is it the Mom's Mabley movie? Well, it's, so it's... Amazing Grace. Amazing uh, Grace. <laughs> so I'm assuming these both must be MGM movies, right? That's because uh, yeah, they used yeah. to put out just whatever was old together. Norman like was a 
It was a UA f- release, I think, or right. Ameri- Amer- AIP. I can't remember, but UA. it was. UA. Uh, I think UA. Yeah, it was shot on video. It's one of those handful of mid seventies. Yeah. Are you serious? Really it's funny because really it says it's in, it says it's in Metro Color, which I don't even know what that means. Then. Well, that was that's a you know that's just a. Uh, you know, that's the 35 millimeter transfer process. So it's it's <laughs> Metro Color is you know what was used to make the prints, um, which is uh, which was just just an Eastman process that you know where the the, the color faded. After can you guys year. name a couple more people that are in Norman? Is that you? Because that's quite Dugan. a cast. Dennis Dugan. Dennis Dugan. Yeah. Uh, Pearl Bailey. I've seen that movie. Um, oh, and uh, Michael. Um, Mm-hmm. From Hill Street Blues, Michael is, Warren. Uh, yeah, Michael Warren oh, is yeah. is Norman. He's Norman. Right. But don't forget, Jane Meadows and Waylon Flowers are also that, right. <laughs> the trailer is uh, punctuated with Dennis Dugan saying "fabulous" <laughs> every like thirty seconds. Uh, it, what is that? The plot of the movie is it about? Uh, Red Fox's yeah, gay son. Red Fox comes to visit yeah. his son and discovers that he's living with another right. man. It was a very popular uh, show, uh, like on the black uh, theaters. Like uh, what's his name kind of thing. Like yeah, Tyler Perry. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, but then did you want to hear what they paired that with? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow! What a day at the movies. Uh, Logan's Run. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. So they must have been both MGM releases. That's what I'm. That's, that's before, what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just like they didn't have home video and, and cable, so they just like, let's just put these out one more time. Like, so here's yeah, an, well, t- yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, just double features were. You know, that was yeah. That was the like. It didn't two minute warning. Were you saying that? Was that the initial release or later when it was with Family? Plot? Later they added Family Plot, which had come out like six months earlier. But right. like two weeks later, like not long. Well, because yeah. because nobody wanted to see Two Minute Warning, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Logan's Run was a big summer movie that year. Right. Um, here's a movie that I swear I'd never heard of before, but when I saw this ad last week when I was looking at this thing, I went to try to find it uh, online and couldn't find a streaming version of this anywhere. Uh, but maybe one of you or both of you have seen or heard this movie uh, Sean Connery and somebody named Cornelia Sharp in The Next Man well I just no. got I just got the DVD from Netflix oh. <laughs> okay. uh, so wow, that's uh, weird I, I can share yeah very weird I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm just checking out all the 70s movies I haven't seen so but now, do I've you know anything it. about it it's directed by Richard Serafian who did that's um, right did Vanishing Point Vanishing Point yeah there's one other film he did around the same time uh, called The Terrorist. Sean Connery did. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I've, I've never seen that one either. And I would always confuse The Next Man, The Terrorist, and he did a film with Sidney Lumet called The Offense. Yeah. Uh, and I was just, I would always get them confused. I've seen The Offense. I haven't seen the other two. Completely forgotten the three of them. Well, yeah. let me just say this about The Next Man and not to spoil it. Uh, for you, Jim, or you know, but but I'm I'm lowering the bar for your expectations. Yeah, the, yeah I'm not expecting the, much. The main pull quote in the ad is one of those, and Mike, you can interpret this better than us. Yeah. Um, nice. Is one of those things that that clearly is telling you this movie sucks. It's it's from the New York <laughs> Daily the News, and it says, 
It says, here's the entire pull quote. The opening scenes on The Next Man throb with a tension that promises a riveting thriller ahead with enough slam-bang violence to rival Marathon Man. Period. Yeah. End of story. Promises. So, yeah. yeah. You can only exactly. imagine what the rest yeah. of that the review was. Big welch. Yeah. yeah. Then comes the rest of the movie, and God damn it, there's not a single moment of tension. I uh, think it's one. I think it's. Uh, when did The Wind and the Lion come out? Was that 76 or is that 76? So I think that's two movies in a row, maybe even the same year, where Sean Connery plays uh, an Arab. I'm pretty sure huh. he plays he plays an Arab in, uh, in The Next Man. Um, at the art uh, was what they claim in the ad is the year's best show. Well, it might be. It's Bergman and Fellini, face to face, also Amarcord. Wow. Yeah. How's that for a double feature? Imagine catching that at the drive-in. Yeah. <laughs> um, at the Sutton, they were going to have a world premiere on Sunday. So this is an ad on Friday for the world premiere on Sunday of Network. Ooh. Wow. Network uh, and Rocky both came out at the end of the year, right? They were both... I think they're both Christmas movies. Christmas yeah. movies. And Do either of you know what the tagline was for Network? Uh, you can't touch this dial. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, tele- my God, it's my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Television will never be the same. Wow. Uh, okay, here's a movie I've never seen. Uh, and I don't know that I've ever even heard of. Liza Minnelli. Ingrid Bergman, mm. all over the place. This movie was playing. A Matter of Time with special guest star Charles Boyer. Vincente no Minnelli's last film. Yes. Have you seen it? I tried to watch it on Amazon Prime this year, but they had one of those. I think it's an anamorphic or one eight five film, and they had it squeezed. So everyone is super skinny in the middle of the screen. They they have a handful of transfers that are yeah. up like that. That. Have yet to be corrected. And I have one TV that I can fix that problem with and another one that doesn't do that. Hmm, I should talk to you about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Through the Looking Glass. Anybody know this? Oh, that's X. It's an X-rated movie. That's a porno movie. That's another arty porno movie. Yeah. It's not. Is it? Does it have anything to do with the X-rated Alice in Wonderland? No, no. It's like a real serious, uh, kinky Head trip Here, here's of. a good, pretty interesting pull quote from High Society. Seldom, yeah. seldom do I jump for joy over an explicit sex film, but Through the Looking Glass is an incredibly bizarre film. A fanciful horror story told in such imaginative visual images that Fellini himself would stand up and take notice. Yeah, it's a good movie. I, I have seen it. It's good. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next up... Uh, now playing at the Plaza, the 7% Solution. Oh, sure. Good one. That probably had been playing for a while, I'm guessing. That was a that was a fairly... film that played for a while. It was a fairly decent hit, I think, for Universal. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Great cast in that film. Uh, Russ Meyer's Up. Oh, well, I've seen that. <laughs> I think I've seen that one. Uh, That's with uh, Kit and the Tivy Dodd narrating from the treetops. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Eric Romer's The Marquise of O. 
I've not seen that. Yeah, that's. Um, I think that's you know, Romer would do these relationship films, right? The yeah. real small, low key, right. like, and that's one of his really heavily stylized like literary adaptations. It's oh, totally different okay. than his usual kind of uh, you know four seasons uh, moral tales kind of movies. And the the other one he did in the seventies was Percival. Um, you know, with you know costumes and slightly more expensive sets. Um, I've I've seen them both, and I don't remember much about them. All right, here's another Roger Corman presents movie that I don't know, but um, I'm assuming one of you must have seen this. Uh, the tagline is a film by a woman about women and for everyone. This is uh, a Roger Corman release. You said mm-hmm. by a I woman. Never promise you a rose garden. <laughs> no. <laughs> and this is it, late 76. And uh, Keith Carradine is in the cast. Although that's Oh, it's uh, Lumiere. Yes, Lumiere. Lumiere. Yeah. I, I need to see Lumiere. It's the, one of the remaining okay. films I need to check off on the in Danny Perry's Guide for the Film Fanatic. Oh, well, if only you could travel like, back in time to the Beekman Theater in 1976, you could check it out. Uh, directed by Jean Moreau. Yes. And uh, she did one more film before the 70s was over, which we showed at the Cinematheque last year Ben yeah uh, what was that The uh, Adolescent oh yeah that's pretty good Adolescent yeah. yeah oh yes yeah I never saw that but I remember that yeah, check it out um, yeah. Marathon Man was playing oh, I love that oh uh, so here's a full here's a full blown ad for Swashbuckler um, but they had already at most theaters added a second feature would you like to guess I don't. I don't know why. I don't think this would have been. This again was probably they were just like, well, we've, we've got prints of this Jaws? film. No, fuck no. It's a Universal film. Yes. Um, earthquake. I'll tell you the tagline for it: "The Great Entertainment Adventure of Our Time." <laughs> Airport seventy-five. No, I wish. I I have to give up. Yeah. The, uh, the Hindenburg. Oh jeez! Oh, <laughs> now that that movie, I've I returned to. Didn't like it much the first time. Saw it again a second time, and that one that one does not hold up. It's 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 a bore. Mm-hmm. I watched it on TV as a kid and turned it off. Yeah, it's if it if it if it's in that disaster cycle of Universal films, yeah. uh, it is it is one of the worst. Well, here's a movie that, God, did I hear about this movie forever as a kid, didn't see, and then was recently part, like, well, you know, sort of the cornerstone of a whole retrospective that we did a couple years ago. Uh, Elaine Tanner's uh, Jonah, who will be 25 in the year 2000. So I can honestly, I can happily say I've seen that movie. It's a good movie. And do you remember? Always been fascinated by the title, never saw it. Exactly. So, do you remember Ben that series? The um, it concluded with a film that Tanner, who is Swiss, made in English, in uh, Wales or some some part of the UK. That's kind of a sequel, right? Well, you don't realize that until the end. Right. That it's taking place in the year two thousand, even though it was released in you know nineteen eighty one or something like that. It's taking place in the year two thousand, and the main character is Jonah. Right. What was the name uh, of that movie? Uh, it's three words, and Trevor Howard's in it. It's like long, long time coming, or something like that. It's uh, 
Wait a minute. Was that the crazy movie where the guy is trying to build wings? Yes. Oh, my God. That movie is insane. Uh, I'm going to get the title of it right here. Light Years Away. Yeah, that's a movie, man. Wow. Wait. Yeah. And it's... Um, yeah, I think... I can't remember if it was you know, Scotland or Ireland or uh, Northern Ireland. I, I can't remember. Um. Also, this was a time when you could go to a theater in New York and see uh, Idi Amin Dada, self-portrait, a film by Barbet Schroeder. I've seen that. Barbet Schroeder. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Also very good is his uh, Coco, movie about Coco, Coco, a talking gorilla. Oh, yeah. I never saw that. Very that good. was also a self-portrait. <laughs> no. <laughs> Coco was self-portrait. Coco lived a long time. Coco just died a year or two yeah. ago. I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and was the subject of other documentaries. Like PBS went in and hmm. went. Robin Williams visited Coco many times. All right. Well, that's it for the movies. Uh, you want to know what we could have watched on TV that day? Please. Yeah. All right. I gotta find that thing. Any other uh, any other things you wanted to clear up as ombudsman, Jim? While I find yeah, out? I made I uh, as uh, Rick Moranis as George Carlin would say, I got some bits here. Um, Airplanes. Airplanes. Sideways escalators. How come there are no sideways escalators? They either go up or down. Um, So this part of this were notes I sent to you guys, and also things I gleaned from the Facebook page. So not not going back to where you began, but going back to last time I appeared on the Hot Stuff episode, Mm -hmm. uh, Greg Dean Schmitz wrote that. Uh, the uh, Burt Reynolds and Ossie Davis relationship went back even further than Sam Whiskey that because they were both born in Waycross, Georgia, and they had a I don't know that they knew each other as kids, but you know that that that's where that relationship stretched back to because we were kind of wondering you know what where does yeah that that was a whole thing that throughout their careers they were in each other's movies and things. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jerk episode. I think, Ben, that's where you said, you know, why was this movie rated R? Yeah. And I remember hearing once, I don't think it was anybody involved with the making of The Jerk, but somebody who got word from the ratings board when they were making their own film that the, 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 the main reason it got an R were the words blowjob. Wow. And, that, and it might have been somebody talking about Rushmore 20 years later because that was one of the reasons Rushmore got an R because the words handjob. You know, the titles of network sitcoms. Well, that is interesting. I feel like we've become a lot more purient as a society, but now you can say that on just broadcast TV, blowjob. Yeah, yeah. It's on every like Real Housewives episode. (laughs) Well, in 1979, the MPAA took particular offense to that because I don't think there's any f bombs in the jerk. No, I mean, I think that the. the most adult that it gets is his relationship with that um, stunt with the stunt, circus, so, yeah, yeah. The circus lady. Yeah. Well, that's the that's where the words right. come in. He, right. he writes the letter home, and, right? Um, and uh, you guys put up the uh, great uh, outtakes or the or ne- I guess network TV version compilation of clips of scenes from the jerk that that weren't in the film and. Uh, I, I haven't been able to verify that the dog was called stupid on TV and shithead in the movie, in the theatrical version, but I do remember watching it on TV and 
I think they filmed entirely alternate takes where the kid who's wearing the t-shirt that says bullshit, uh, Bernadette Peter says, I'm looking for a kid with a t-shirt that says bullshit. And I think they even filmed right. him. They even filmed alternate takes with the kid wearing a bullshit right. t-shirt. That was my memory of it. That's funny because somebody, I think, more recently wrote that they thought that the dog's name in the TV version was Shirthead and and not stupid but then somebody else said no 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 it was definitely stupid but i, I think, think shirthead would have been too rough yeah and i think that I they're think confusing that. it with the bull shirt right well that's yeah. what i'm that's yeah. what just triggered that i'm like oh that must be yeah. what that guy yeah. was remembering and one of the thing that's in those 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 clips uh that is the long scene where um naven puts himself on the the gyrotron thing uh it's not in the movie it got cut out he I guess it's right when Bernadette Peters leaves him and he makes himself sick riding all day on this carnival ride. And he gets <laughs> yeah, off, and right. all the carnies surround him, and all the carnies are played by the members of the committee from Billy Jack. So it's Howard Hessman wow. and Larry yeah. Hankin. And uh, so to come back to, I guess that's a shout back to the uh, Son of Blob episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe they cut uh, that out. Or Beware the Blob. Uh, where's Papa um, Adam Karsten? Uh, Astute, Good dude, uh, dude yeah. from Chicago. That yeah. mentioned there was no mention of Little Murders on that episode. That it was you know kind of tied right into that that era of filmmaking about New York, um, which you know we talked about. This is one of the things we talked about when Larry Pierce came to Madison was that the incident is really the beginning of that the kind of you know grimy New York movies, and I I've I've kind of classified them. Um, uh, as post Kitty Genovese movies, you know the yeah the, yeah that's a the, great the re- really kind of uh, you know it, it, it infected everyone's view of of New York and uh, by the way that you know then that whole story has been demythologized and yeah and, and yeah what was that apart. movie we showed at the festival that was about? yeah it was um, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I I can't remember the there title. There was a TV movie. We need an, we need an ombudsman murder. to to right. clarify yeah. what the ombudsman. Uh, can't remember. Uh, I'm it's it's going to come to me in a second, but because uh, we, yeah, we had was the, it the witness or something? The, like it that? is the oh, witness, okay. and uh, and in the film, uh, I think it's it's Kitty's brother who's the main. Uh, yeah, Bill Genovese uh, from 2015, directed by James Solomon. Very very good movie. Um, but oh, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that, yeah. I think HBO a, ran uh, it later. Yeah, it was yeah. an HBO documentary. Yeah, we yeah. showed it at the Wisconsin Film Festival right. here. And, That's and, right. And yeah. James Solomon came. and um, But, you know, Little Murders, even more than Where's Papa, really fits into that kind of uh, oh, yeah. you know, oh, dirty oh, old yeah. New York. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then it goes all the way up through Taking of Pelham and, uh, you know, uh, Night of the Juggler and, you know, yeah. all the way up through the early 80s. Um, but... You guys didn't talk too much about the original ending of Where's Papa. Ben, have you still not seen it? No, now I have because somebody posted it for us or okay. shared a link with me. I've yeah, seen it's it. it's on YouTube. Right, yeah. and I, yeah, but it's, it was hard to find because I was looking for it. Huh? It's on the Blu-ray. It's on the Blu-ray. I know, I don't have the Blu-ray. Listen, so I can't afford so it. So I, 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 <laughs> I did a little research, and it, see, I always thought that it got into theaters and then Carl Reiner decided, oh no, this isn't. You know, we gotta we gotta change this. People are reacting badly to it. It was it was a one preview screening in October of 1970, weeks before it was released. And 
he changed it for the release of the film. And I th I'm pretty sure he what he did was the, oh, the release prints had been made. And I think he had, you know, before they got sent out or even maybe even had projectionists do it, he just lopped off the five minutes of the movie after he puts Mama in the home and, and drives away with Trish Vandiver and then the credits roll. Yeah. Um, because that's that's basically exactly what it is. And, right. Uh, and they, they took away the, the original ending where he, he climbs into bed with Mama and says, Papa's here. Um, but... Because, and the reason, one of the reasons why I'm pretty sure that that's what happened is that the original camera negative was not touched. And so when MGM UA were making new prints about 20 years ago, all the new prints that went out had the original end, had the Papa's home ending. And that was the one that, you know, I would, when I re would request a print, that was the one I would get to show at Eastman House where I showed it a couple of times. And uh, audiences do not like that ending. I mean, I think Carl Reiner was definitely right in appealing to them but and 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 he didn't like it either he didn't like people showing it i think when he got wind that it was being shown he was he was not happy about it. so when you see the dvd it runs as it would in a theater as you would have seen it in a theater and then the the, the extra ending is is a bonus right. but when those I new saw prints were papa on wht when i first saw it that and that the, could be because they the made yeah. they went and made that transfer from the original negative you know yeah. with it you know so I, I think you know the prints were made, and then he just had that scene cut up. But I think I did the majority of my Where's Papa watching from a VHS, and I don't. And I think that was the theatrical. It, it was the first VHS release where the was the happy ending, and I saw it. I saw it in 1983 or 84 with my family at the Theater 80 St. Marks in Greenwich Village, double feature with with Harold and Maude. And throughout the seven, late 70s into the early 80s, there were two theaters in Chicago, the 400 and the Three Penny, which at least once a year would have a week-long <laughs> run of Harold and Maude, Where's Papa, and... Which I saw. I saw King of, King of Hearts in the theater with my grandparents. They took me yeah. to see that. Um, which, is, which was a phenomenon yeah. when we were kids. I, fi I finally caught up with it. Couldn't see what the big deal is. I think it's the movie is literally about the inmates running the asylum, right? Right. Isn't that that's right. the that's the premise? And I don't remember very much about it. Um, but that was you know a definitive cult movie, like right with uh, you know Rocky Horror, Harold and Maude. Would you could see it in a theater into the early '80s in Chicago? Yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, oh, one more back to the jerk talking about John Candy. I mentioned this to um, to Ben. Uh, who asserted that you know he never had his uh, his SCTV meanness in any of his movie performances? I would just say that you know definitely Stripes and Splash are very Johnny Larue esque oh, kind of characters, sure. yeah. and even to a certain degree, even though it it uh, falls to sentimentality big time at the end, Uncle Buck. Uh, there's, right. there's a there's a bit of Johnny LaRue to that. Wait, so. wait, wait, wait. Splash, I'm with you. And I Splash, I say, is the exception to the rule. Yeah. But yeah. Stripes, isn't he just a lovable goofball? He's not a Johnny eh, LaRue. He gets, you know, he's, he's, you know, high Sarge, why don't you shut up? You know, he's he's got the mean streak in him, you know, cheating the guys at cards, um, you know, getting involved with the mud wrestling. And he's, yeah, he's... It's, it's, there's a bit of Johnny LaRue there, I would All right. yeah. You're very generous in your assessment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he's very funny in that one. 
Yeah. No, I think he is too. He is. that I like Stripes. Uh, honestly, out of all the movies that everyone raves about from that whole period of time, Animal House yeah. and Caddyshack and stuff, Stripes is the one that I actually have always liked. So it's my favorite too. I think it holds up the best. Um, okay, the Capricorn One episode with with my brother Pat. Uh, not not too much to say here. About, I, the Capricorn One and the Two Minute Warning episodes are, from my money, the uh, the definitive explorations of these films, I think. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, really, uh, you really nailed them uh, both, uh, you and your and your guests. Um, but in the Capricorn One discussion, uh, can she bake a cherry pie? Came up Henry Jaglum's film, and Michael uh, Emil, the star of that film, right? Who um, Steve Leinbach on the Facebook uh, pointed out is. Henry Jaglum's brother, which is why he's in so many of his other films, including Sitting Ducks. Um, but uh, interestingly, probably it was Can She Bake a Cherry Pie that got him this job. He is in Nicholas Rogue's Insignificance. You remember that one? Yeah. Sure. Where Does he the, play Einstein in that? He plays Einstein and Teresa Russell's Marilyn Monroe oh my God. and yeah. Gary, Gary Busey's Joe DiMaggio. And, I need to watch know, that now. I've always avoided one that other, movie. Isn't there one other pop culture personality in that too, or is it just the three of them? I can't remember, but there is. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. I want to say it's a quartet. Um, and uh, he also wanted to point out that Larry David uh, is in Can She Bake a Cherry Pie with his full uh, Fridays hair. Wow! Um, I know. I tried to. I, I started watching it again around the time of that episode and didn't get to Larry. I saw that he was in the credits, but I didn't get to see him. He has a scene in a cafe with Michael Emil, and maybe one more scene in there too. I do stand by my assessment that Michael Emil is is pretty funny, pretty funny guy. Yeah, he's good. He's a decent actor. I think um, there's, there's another one that he's in. Maybe it's Sitting Ducks. I'm thinking of. I've I've seen it more than. More than more Henry Jaglin films than I need to see, uh, and uh, yeah. he's he's he, he's usually worth watching in there. The one that the one that's pretty good is Tracks, which is a the Dennis Hopper returning Vietnam vet. Film, oh, that's right. Like I never saw that. Seventy six, seventy seven. That one's worth checking out. It's not great, but Hopper's really interesting, and it's you know it's a Vietnam film before the yeah. before the Deer Hunter and Coming Home right. and all those films. So. I have seen Tracks. With Shadow Stevens, the <laughs> announcer from Hollywood Squares in the eighties. Is that spelled T R A X X X? X X. Yes. Well, no, no, no. I, I would. It wasn't popular enough to get the porn parody. No, two X's. <laughs> two X's. It's a sci-fi film. I think I remember seeing that on at Blockbusters. Okay, and then the last mini episode uh, uh, where Carl Reiner came up again. Uh, Mike apparently mistakenly referred to. Uh, Carl Reiner's Fatal Instinct, the basic instinct, Fatal Attraction parody as Fatal Attraction. And Max, oh. and, jo- <laughs> Max and Joseph Retch wanted to point out that uh, oh. uh, that you, you knew what you were talking about, I guess. So you just, you just, you yeah. put the, you know, you could have called it Basic Instinct or Fatal Attraction. Yeah. But. yeah, I will going forward. And then the, the next time in my life I discuss that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, one, it's one of the, uh, that, the last, I don't think I've seen the last two Carl Reiner films. He did that one and the, the one with Bette Midler and Dennis Farina, which I've, I've never seen. But, oh, uh, what the hell is that? Um, uh, uh, it's late. It's like 97 or 96. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like this this magic moment or... Um, no, that, yeah, that, that, that right. old feeling. Isn't that it? That old feeling. That old that's feeling. it, yeah. 
Uh, okay, and then the Pretty Maids episode I have the most uh, notes on. There was, was there was a mention on the, the Rat Pack of the Rat yeah. Pack. Do, how, what was the context of that? Do you guys remember? Shirley MacLaine and Angie Dickinson were the female members of the Rat right, Pack. Right, right. Okay, that reminded me to tell Ben, and, I, and I'll tell you now, Mike, that Shirley MacLaine's follow-up to her Oscar-winning turn in terms of endearment was the Rat Pack reunion in Cannonball Run 2, which features wow. Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, and Frank Sinatra. And I have seen that. I'm pretty sure like Henry Silva and some other Ocean's Eleven guys are in yeah. there, too. Uh, by the way, by the way, the best Rat Pack movie, if it, if, if it, if it can even be considered one, is Minnelli's Some Came Running, which may, may be top, top five Shirley MacLaine performances, too. Hey, hey, Jim, have you heard the, the very latest Crackpot episode? No, I haven't. I, okay. I've, I'm up. I've got to um, Hots, and I haven't got to the punk right. movies. There, yet, there's so. a good Sammy Davis Jr. story waiting for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll get to it. Like, um, really, you got to prepare yourself for the one with Alan McDonnell. It's. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but but actually, something that 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 I don't think you actually talked about on that episode, Mike. But I meant to ask if you'd seen it. Was this? insane short and jim will know who the filmmaker is called rat pack rat no never heard of it. todd rohal oh my fucking god you need to is that if that's available online somewhere isn't it jim it might be uh it's it's quite good write that down and well, no I'll, more. I'll, I'll we'll do. it. It, it's yeah. it's fantastic yeah send it to me yeah uh, no more. speaking of sammy davis jr yes <laughs> <Rat Pack>. my, <laughs> <laughs> uh uh, okay, uh, Percy got brought up on the Pretty Maids all in a row. The yes. Golden Turkeys classic about yeah. the world's first penis transplant. Yeah. Uh, should be mentioned that one decent thing about the movie has uh, soundtrack by Ray Davies and the Kinks. And four. Oh, that's right. Yeah, four yeah. pretty good Kinks rock songs. It's a in good. The film. Yeah, I've heard that. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Keenan Wynn got, uh, is in Pretty Maids, yeah. right? And I think. Ben, you brought up Herbie Rides again because I know you're a big fan of that. And then you said, well, he's in some other Disney film at the time, which is the Shaggy DA, which oh, Pat yeah. and I saw at the Arlington Theater in 1976. Now, that uh, was a movie we came in in the middle and stayed and watched the first half. Okay. I went to see uh, a movie discussed on Crackpot, Hero at Large, uh, oh, yeah. with an aunt who who ins- really wanted us to go in the middle and stay for the beginning. And I I insisted no. We were waiting in the lobby for an hour. <laughs> Good for you to see her. And I think I'd already seen it too. I think I was just uh, wow. good for you. <laughs> um, Mark, I did that with uh, the incredible shrinking woman. Oh, we got okay. There, like I got the time wrong, and we were. It was truly like a half hour into the movie, and I just said at the Nostrum, I said no nah. to my cousin. I was like, "Fuck you! We're going upstairs in the, in the balcony <laughs> waiting area." So you've heard the Galaxy Glue song over the end credits and didn't know I certainly what, did. to what it referred to, I'm sure. That's a, that's a movie we need to do, and I need to bring in my friend Mike Lustig, who was in a band for 10 years called Ruth Ruth, which is from Incredible Shrink. Oh, Man. yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I know that band, yeah. Um, they were okay. real good, Ruth Ruth. Oh, dude, I'm going to bring the, the lead guitar player. Yeah. Um, okay, so the other thing on you mentioned, uh, as you mentioned on a couple episodes, Mark Edward Hoyk, uh, cinephile, yeah. writer, projection guru. Mensch. Um, good guy. Uh, I, I, I want to mention that 
he was beaten in the in the uh, pilot episode of the I think Comedy Central game show called Beat the Geeks. Yeah. Uh, by none other than Pat Healy, who oh, uh, was the first ouch. contestant on that episode. Who, uh, not not to rub it in, Mark. I mean, you know. Is that available for viewing online? I might have a copy of it around here somewhere. I've, I have a VHS. I will say, and this is not something we talk about often. Mark did also beat Mr. Skin when he was on Beat the Geeks. Mark, Mark beat Mr. Skin. He beat Mr. Skin. Oh, Mr. Wow. Skin, uh, like the, he. I mean, I swear to God, like he's he's tried to erase us from the. He just froze up on camera. It was his <laughs> first TV appearance. Pat did a couple game shows, you know, right in the middle of his, you know acting in movies and stuff. I can't remember what the other one was, but um, maybe he doesn't want to talk about that. I don't know. I'll ask him. Uh, oh, uh, Ben brought up Michael Ritchie in the Pretty Maids episode saying that, you know, it was kind of good material for a Ritchie film. And I suggested that, you know, he kind of did make his Pretty Maids the next year uh, in uh, in Prime Cut with Sissy Spacek oh, and, and Lee yeah, Marvin yeah. and Gene Hackman. Um, and also... That uh, in that same episode, Mike, you brought up um, Student Bodies, which yes. Michael uh, was written and directed by Mickey Rose. But Michael Ritchie uh, was a driving force in that film. He, yeah. uh, I think he directed some of it when Mickey Rose c- couldn't do it, or were there reshoots yeah. or something. And he took the Alan Smith, the uh, producer, right. credit on that. So, um, okay, I'm and pushing then, to show that at the uh, the music box is doing uh, 31 nights at horror and a drive-in here. Oh, and I'm hoping to show that with a bunch of uh, horror parody trailers. So, oh, that'd be great. I'm declaring this Look at hysterical you. and pandemonium and yeah, Saturday Rocko. the Saturday the 14th. The Hudson Brothers in hysterical way too late, like 84 or something. <laughs> yeah, a Hudson Brothers vehicle in 1984. 84, yeah. Okay, so also on Pretty Maids, there was the discussion of Roger Greenspun's review, and it was the Times, right? Yep. New York Times? Yeah. And he mentioned that is the latest in a spate of, what did he say, teenage gothics? Is that what he said? Yeah, uh, high school gothics. High school gothics. High school gothics. And we were all like, what possible movies does he have in mind? And and the first thing that came to my mind is another pretty film, uh, Pretty, pretty Poison. Poison. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. 1968. And, yeah. and I'm you sure he was thinking of it, but... Yeah. It's not like there were a ton of these types of movies, you know. No. Um, a lot of college, you know, Strawberry Statement yeah. and uh, yeah. what's the Don Johnson one where he's uh, Magic Garden of Stanley Sweetheart. Stanley Sweetheart, yeah. You know, they're not even gothics. They're just kind of like sex romps in college, yeah. you know. Uh, okay, and uh, okay, and then the Capricorn 1 episode. We, I told the Haskell-Wexler story already. And I'm with you guys, and like uh, Capricorn One is the definitive Peter Hyams film. Everything else is like it's got some interesting things, but they're all kind of disappointing. But I, the one film you didn't mention, which I think is probably his next best film, was made in 1974. It's a sensitive period uh, teen sex drama called Our Time with uh, Pamela Sue Martin and uh, I think Parker Stevenson's in it, and uh, a couple of those. But it has a great performance by Robert Walden also of Capricorn oh, One Capricorn as a One's own, yeah. Exactly. As a very creepy abortionist. Oh um, boy, we gotta and, see that. Yeah. I shared you I shared a link with both of you. If you can't find it, let me know. I'll I'll send Thank it. Thank you. We'll do. 
And uh, and then two minute warning. I think you asked me earlier if there's anything I wanted to say. Somebody on Facebook pointed out that Brock Peters was also in the incident along with Bo Bridges. Oh yes. Um, you know, and you bring up that whole that whole thing about uh, two minute warning. How you know nobody's likable and everybody's you know, screaming at each other, and it's pretty much the same in the incident. I mean, for different reasons. Yeah. I think you know, Bo Bridges is is the hero he's the of the incident he's a very likable warm character he's the only one who isn't a coward he's the, everybody yeah. is you know retreats into their own corner uh in in the incident um but uh in uh, in two minute warning i think you know maybe maybe beats it on the unlikable uh quotient who um, are the um i just want to i you know I, I i think on the episode oh alan alan was you know very vocal about the fact that those other more traditional disaster movies, there's people that you can that you really do sympathize with. But who are the likable people in Earthquake? Well, <laughs> you, you're, you're, that's that's the thing about Earthquake that's so shattering is you know if if you're into that film, which I am, I am. You know, is that you know Charlton Heston's really trying to get something together with Jean-Vierre Bougeot, who loves him unconditionally, and he's just stuck in his you know, stuck in his marriage to Ava Gardner. He's really unhappy. And then, but the ending is he literally gives the let's go of Jean-Via Bujol's hand to go drown and chase yeah. after Ava Gardner. It's just yeah. really like, it's a terrible ending. Richard Roundtree and uh, who's, the, who's the other guy who's, who's he's doing yeah. the stunts with? Uh, yeah. They're fun. They're likable. Yeah. George Kennedy's, you know, he's... And I feel like people, punching people in the face. I feel like Marjo Gortner's character erases oh every other <laughs> likable yeah. character in the movie. Uh, you know, and, uh, have you ever seen When You're Coming Back, Red Rider? No, I never have. But it, that's okay. That, a must. A must. It's a. It's like it's like in the. It's like the Desperate Hours, right? Like a bunch yes. of people cornered in a diner, and he terrorizes them, kind of like the incident, I guess, right? Yes, that's what. Yeah, very much. Yeah, and. uh but I mean, it's you know, I mean, it's him as over the top as when he was a preacher. Like he's <laughs> yeah. uh, just a psycho. Um, it's pretty great, I have yeah. to say. It's really pretty great, and really weird that it even came out when it did and got a release like it did. Yeah, it it it. I don't think it came out in Chicago. I remember that one being on on TV and and then Cinemax and things like that. But I never got a chance to see it. And when he, and when uh, he puts on when he put, in earthquake when he puts on that wig that short haired wig covers up his oh god <laughs> running run out there with that, the national guard with a rifle he's he's also a psycho I think he's the villain in Viva Knievel too the the evil Knievel movie from oh, nineteen seventy seven you know I want to I've not sat through either of those yeah and I want to make an effort to do both but, I know John Milius wrote uh, the first one wrote Evil Knievel. So it's worth watching for the opening because Milius puts like a Patton style speech. Right, and, right. And John I heard that on um, what's the the New Beverly podcast? Right, uh, Pure Cinema. Right, yeah, and I was like, wow, you yeah. need to. Do, that's a crackpot episode. Those two Knievel movies. Yeah, no, we're definitely that's on the addendum. Oh, you got addendum. Yeah. Viva Knievel is whatever it's called. Too. <laughs> Agenda. Viva Knievel. I just is, saw the trailer. Oh, you know what? I've been meaning to plug this on on Facebook, and I keep forgetting. That uh, action seventies action trailer trauma is a fucking masterpiece. If you hear my voice on this show, go and get it. Order it immediately from Amazon. It's mind blowing. It's an incredible movie. Do you have that experience. one? Experience. I do. I, told, I, I, I That's the, 
we should watch. Uh, we should just put on like a half hour of it next time you come over. Yeah. The great, uh, great Garage House Pictures, their oh. latest and greatest trailer compilation. There's those. All of them are are great. All great. All you know, wittily and pointedly assembled in in the order that they're in, and play like one long movie when you watch them that way. And then uh, two more things about the two minute warning episode. Anyone who's still listening, uh, <laughs> Marilyn. Uh, well, you guys talked about the couples in the film. There's Cassavetes and Rollins, and yes. then what was there was one other one too, right? Uh, uh, um, yeah, the there's pickpockets m- assistant, j- uh, and Bridges, Bo Bridges, yeah. Bo Bridges' wife. Wife uh, is, is the is pick Walter Pigeon's uh, yeah. pickpocket. Okay, but uh, Marilyn Hassett, who is what? what is she, she the, the co-ed or is she Bo Bridges' no, wife in the movie? The, she's the co-ed, I think. She's yeah, I think she's the co-ed. She's right? the one she's getting the one picked with up the, by the David guy from Rota, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's originally with. Uh, she comes. She she arrives with somebody else, right? Yeah, the guy who yeah. who was on Mary Tyler Moore Show once and not much else. Right. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Marilyn Hassett is the star of many Larry Pierce vehicles, including both Other Side of the Mountain movies and his adaptation of Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar came out yeah. in 1979 their last film together but she's also mrs at was mrs larry pierce at the time oh. so i think i didn't see uh, i didn't see if anybody pointed that out on facebook but uh, ben did you say somebody wrote that on i there? don't think so no so that that's another couple in the film and then the one other thing i wanted to say mike is uh sctv came up again as it should on yeah. every episode and the shout factory DVDs cover the two years of the 90-minute episodes, uh, the Network 90 show. So from 1981, seasons four and five, basically, 81 to 82. There's like five volumes. And then there's, yeah. an, there's another volume of, uh, it's, like a, it's like the best of the previous three seasons. Okay, I got that. So they're, yeah. not, they're not all out. And, and, and I guess in, there are in some, I think there are some episodes where, I don't, I don't want to say that where there are entire skits that are taken out, um, right. but there are definitely episodes where the music's been changed, the you know the drops that they use that yes and yeah. and things like that and and then and I imagine that's probably the reason why the Cinemax shows aren't out because HBO oh, so I owns, got that I got that wrong too sorry everybody oh, no no you. it's uh, but it, you, you 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 can't you you know if you if you look hard enough on the internet you can find the complete seasons right. and and and. You can either find them streaming or you can buy, you know, bootleg DVDs. Out Somebody there. posted a picture recently. Maybe it was on one of, maybe it was on our thing, or maybe it was just of of all the Shout Factory DVDs and then these bootleg DVDs they had of the Cinemax series. Yes, and uh, I think I've got I've got them all somewhere. But um, yeah, those the Cinemax shows are pretty out there. Yeah, I've been uh, watching what I'm assuming is Cinemax clips on YouTube because I don't remember seeing them ever before, and I never saw the Cinemax stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? There's like have, have you seen long... Rich? Have, have you seen Rich and Jealous yet? No. It's a Andrea Martin as Barbara Streisand and um, Valerie Bromfield as Ruth Gordon in a parody of Rich and Famous. Oh, I need to wow. see that. It's <laughs> my old college roommate. <laughs> Do you remember the weird uh, PBS edits for the, like, three weeks that it ran on PBS? No. When did that happen? Uh, sometime in the 80s, like the probably late 80s. Was it before they were on Nick at Night? 
Oh yeah, 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 for sure. No. And what did they do? Well, how did they just they, cut uh, they just pulled skits and kind of just threw them up there? Mm. <laughs> the one, the one episode that I think is—I don't know if it's if you can get it in the bootleg editions, but in the, I think it's the second or third season. They just took either an episode of a Cisco Kid TV show, I think, a Cisco yeah. Kid TV, or as a serial or a condensed version of a movie, and just dubbed the whole soundtrack over. And that, wow. that apparently they had zero clearance to do that, and uh, and that's been you know AOL since did, the late seventies. Did either AWL. of you did either of you ever see the David Letterman episode that they when they ran as a re, as a repeat they dubbed all the voices? No, <laughs> no, not, but I not know the SCTV. Yeah. People I saw that. No, no, not SCTV. Huh. But it was I saw it when I, when we were in college one night and I was like this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life and did they just did they change words or did they just no did they just have other people do voices? it's almost like the speed racer kind of voices but like you know dubbed into so it's they're, not like they're, a, they're doing like a exactly no uh-uh. they're just, they're, they didn't they're change exactly anything what the, yep <laughs> Do you remember when SCT, SCTV would do three weeks a month and then the fourth was a 90 minute letterman that would huh. always be conceptual Oh, maybe that was one of these. Too Tired to Do a Show was one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they were great. I mean, it was, like, really perfectly in keeping with, you know, giving SCTV that week off. And Letterman would fill an hour and a half slot, not just an hour. Yeah. Wow. There was always a special version of Letterman, yeah. I kind of remember those. Yeah. I mean, you know, it didn't last long because SCTV wasn't on too long. No, just two years on NBC. Yeah, yeah. And then how and long I think was uh, just did the first year? How long was Uncle Floyd on on NBC or whatever? Oh, six he was. months, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Did he have any big guests on during that time? And Howard Stern, I saw that it was on after Saturday Night Live once. Huh. Oh, I don't uh, remember. Paul Simon. Oh, wow. see, I remember no, I the Paul Simon. I remember the Paul Simon show, but I think that was yeah because I never watched the when he was on NBC. Yeah. I, I remember Paul Simon coming on and doing Slip Sliding Away on uh, yeah. this Channel 68. And Joey Ramone and somebody doing a duet of uh, I Got You, Babe. I can't remember who that was. That was an actual single that was released. Who did he sing yeah. that with? Well, they, um, maybe and, Harry? Rachel Sweet? Maybe no, it was no, Rachel no. Sweet. It was, no, no, no. It was no, it was somebody. I'll find out. But, but, the, uh, but usually Paul Simon was an exception. But usually they would just lip sync to records, yeah. And uh, but uh, Cindy Lauper came on and did "She's So Unusual," and she did it. She didn't. She didn't lip sync. She did it live. No. I remember that. Oh, it wasn't somebody famous. Holly Beth Vincent. Oh, mm-hmm. from Holly and the Italians. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, that's why. I, that's why I knew yeah. her at the time. Yeah. Yeah, they were real good. Yeah. All right, you managed to do another two-hour mini episode. Yeah. <laughs> we we didn't even get to the TV thing, which I I'm just going to read you what was on. I'm just, just going to yeah. limit it from 6:30 a.m. So I'm, I'm in no rush. I'm just, I just, yeah. I was just noticing. That. <laughs> Mike looks like he's been in a panic since we got on, since we hit record. <laughs> no, 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 I'm cool. Mike, you're kind of, you're working now, right? <laughs> like this is, you're in the middle. Yeah, of the job. I have to put together my Snoop Dogg news pitches for tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. So from 6:30 a.m. to 9:30 a.m., this is what was available to us on our over-the-air broadcast TVs, 76. Uh, at 6.30 a.m. on Channel 2 was Sunrise Semester. Sure. On Channel 5 uh, on channel five was Rin Tin Tin. 
yes, and on channel nasty. channel eleven was Felix the Cat. Love that one. Bag of tricks. At seven a.m. on channel five, there was something. I need your. I'm, I'm sure I'll go like, oh yeah, of course that's who they're talking about. It's got the names of three different cartoon characters, and I can only off the top of my head figure out who two out of the three are. Channel five, seven a.m. A show called Porky, Huck, and Yogi. Now, who's Huck in that scenario? Huckleberry, Huckleberry Hound. Hound. Oh, Huckleberry Hound. Okay, right, sure. On Channel 11 at 7 a.m. was The Little Rascals. All right. At 7.05 on Channel 13, which was PBS, was Yoga for Health. So even back in 76, we were doing Yoga for Health. Yeah, for health. 7.30 a.m. on Channel 5, The Flintstones. On Channel 11, The Banana Splits. And on Channel 13, a rerun of the previous night's McNeil Era Report. On ch- on, at 8 a.m. on Channel 2 was Captain Kangaroo with the special guest Walter Slezak that day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, on Channel hey 5. Hey, kids, it's the star of Hitchcock's Lifeboat, Mr. <laughs> Green Jeans. <laughs> on Channel 5 was Bugs Bunny. On Channel 9 was the Jimmy Swaggart Show. Oh, good one. And then on Channel 11, I don't know this show. Mike, you're going to have to help me with this. Yeah. Funky Phantom. Oh, we had a friend, friend, friend in Funky Phantom. That's a Hanna-Barbera <laughs> cartoon. Like, remember they did all those iterations of Scooby-Doo with, you know, a wacky, non-human character? And one of them was Funky, Funky Phantom. Funky Phantom was like a Revolutionary War-era ghost. It's that the, helped the kids solve mysteries. It's the same era as uh, Hair Bear Bunch and... Uh, Speed Buggy. Ta- uh, Hong Kong Fooey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but those were Saturday morning shows. This is on a this is like a weekday syndicated everyday yeah. show. Funky Well, Phantom. that's the weird thing is they'd have like 20 episodes and just rerun them all the time. Yeah. yeah. One uh, ran for one season sure. on a- Saturday morning ABC. Right. And then, yeah. Um, at 8.30 on Channel 5 was The Monkees. Right. Also, at 8.30 a.m. At 8.30 a.m. on Channel 9, the Joe Franklin Show. Yes, that was a rerun for the previous night. Sure. Uh, on Channel 11, Megillah Gorilla. Uh-huh. Um, at 8.45 on Channel 13 was, 13 was something called Vegetable Soup. Oh, yeah, that was, a, I think, a Canadian kids show. I used to like that. It had marionettes that were like a gang of kids. And the song was fucking went. All kinds of vegetables, all kind of vegetables, and so on. Mike, did you guys ever have, did you guys get on the East Coast hot, I think it was called Hot Fudge? Oh, yeah. Hot Fudge, holy moly. Hot Fudge, holy moly. That's it. Yeah, hot Fudge was awesome. Yeah. You, 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 you just cleared up for me what they were saying. I never, for years, I knew it was Hot Fudge, but I, holy moly, I didn't know. Holy moly. I thought oh, it was Hot died. Fudge rolling on in. Hot Fudge rolling on in. By the way, yeah, this was cleared up for me. I don't think I ever went on Facebook with this, and you haven't touched on it, Ombudsman. Uh, the the great song that accompanies the Central Park sequences in Where's Papa, uh, You Better Move It. You Better it. Move It. I always heard the line as, and it's a complete non sequitur, uh, mashed potato gonna hook your ass. But uh, <laughs> um, it's not. It's And actually, my friend Mike of Ruth Ruth fame and fortune uh, recently got the soundtrack album and then digitized it and put it up on YouTube for me. Um it's masturbator gonna hook your ass, which I don't doesn't actually wow. make a lot more sense, but a lot more sense. And, 
Mashed Potato was in the uh, ABC Friday Night movie version. That's what I thought. Maybe there were like alternate versions. Because every time they get to that part of the song, it's a completely different lyric. And they're all kind of crazy. But uh, that one is Masturbator, not Mashed Potato. Um, uh, Okay, where were we? McGill Gorilla Vegetable Soup. Okay, at 9 o'clock on Channel 2, To Tell the Truth. Which, remind me which game show that is. Is that where... That's not What's My Line. No. But there, but so people are just telling a story, and you have to guess whether the story is it true. It says this or not. guy, you know, uh, sold his ass on Ninth Avenue before becoming a circus clown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you had to guess whether that was really something. And there were three, well, there were three, guys. three guys, and they all come out and say, "I'm Mike McPadden. I'm Mike exactly. McPadden. I'm Mike." Which was McPadden. my story. But how is that different exactly. than what's my yeah. line? What's my line was somebody would they would be blindfolded, and it would be yeah. like. Uh, Celebrity Someone panel. Note, yeah, uh, and yeah, they, yeah, and they, sometimes if it was fa- somebody famous who was in the news, or even yeah. somebody like like Kirk Douglas, they would come on and right. But I remember and, a great Peter Lorre clip. Yeah, yeah, and they would sometimes they would if they were known for their voice, they'd have, they'd try and change their voice too. Yeah, right. Yes. All right. <laughs> on Channel Four was not for women only. With today's uh, subject being decorating. Okay. <laughs> Hilariously parodied by uh, Howard Cerner's Not for Goyam Only <laughs> with the rabbi and Mrs. Flemstein. Oh, right. Oh, God. That's right. Wow. Uh, on Channel 5 was the Brady Bunch. All right. On Channel 7 was AM New York with special guest of the day, Ralph Nader. Wow. <laughs> on Channel uh, AM New York was uh, Stanley Siegel. Yeah. Yeah. The great, great Stanley Siegel, who would, at one point had his uh, therapist on the air on, every Friday. He would do a little brief therapy session. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, on Channel 11 was The Munsters. On Channel 13 was Sesame Street. Uh, and it, finally at 9.30 a.m., that's as far as I'm going to go. But, I mean, I, my mind is blown. Like, I, you know, that's enough programming right there for, like, yeah. I'll trade that for, like, four days worth of whatever's on cable these yeah. days. Just the commercials. Um, yeah. Uh, Channel 4 had concentration. Was that where... That's the thing where you're like flipping cards and you're trying to find There's a match. the picture and you're trying to find the... Oh, it's a rebus yeah. kind of a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Behind the cards. Yeah. Is a rhombus. Yeah. Oh, is that what it's called? A rhombus? Yeah. Okay. Huh. Um... <laughs> On Channel 5 was the Partridge Family. On Channel 9 was Lassie. And on Channel 11 was the Adams Family. Like, what a lineup. Mm. Yeah, really. Powerhouse. Yeah. All right. Were well, there any movies of note that day? Or? Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't have to go through all of them. Uh, at 10 a.m. Uh, on Channel 7 was The Goddess with Lloyd Bridges oh. and Kim Stanley. Right. It's the, it's a, it's it's the written Marilyn by, Monroe story. But it's, it's written by Patty Shayefsky, yeah. Yeah, it's huh? it, Kim Stanley plays a Marilyn Monroe type figure, and Lloyd Bridges is like a, uh, I don't know if he's like a amalgam of Arthur Miller and Joe DiMaggio or something wow. like that, and it's yeah something like that, or it's and it's you know it's a takedown of the Hollywood studio system, and um, it's not bad. Uh, well, New York Times says Patty Shayefsky's brilliant study of a lonely Hollywood woman, lonely Hollywood woman. Memorably played by Kim, adult and splendid. Yeah. Now I will say that at ten o'clock, that was up against uh, the Price is Right, 
Sanford and Son, Andy Griffith, Romper Room, Get Smart, and on Channel 13, The Word Shop. I mean, that's wow. just crazy. Sam- Sanford and Son yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> I would have gone Price is Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know I wouldn't have gone. I love enough. Sanford and Son, but at the time I would have gone Price is he, Right. There's one more show that I forgot that my mom would never let me watch, and if she caught me watching, she'd get really mad, and that was Romper Room. She hated Romper Room. <laughs> She hated Miss Louise. Yeah. Wow. She hated that whole. She hated their whole smarmy, like authoritarian attitude. They were very boss. Miss Louise, or whatever her name was, was, very bossy. She was the original. Then it was Miss Molly, I think. Yeah. yeah. Was that? Yeah, no romper stompers, Doobie. Yeah. yeah, Doobie. Was was romper room franchised to different markets or yes, was it like Bozo? Yeah. Okay, so you had so yeah because I remember had we had the country. we had yeah. it in Chicago, but I don't remember the hosts, yeah. and I don't know if it was yeah. Louise. I'm sure it was its own version. Um, okay, and we were talking about movies. So at 11 a.m. on Channel 5 was The Blue Dahlia. Uh, All right. Alan Ladd, Veronica Lake, William Bendix. And New York Times has its classic line. Well, it says, smooth, hard-boiled, whodunit. And then, of course, it says, good of this kind. <laughs> that was like, yeah. that was their go-to. Good of this kind. Okay. Uh, and that was it movie-wise until... Until 2.30 in the afternoon on Channel 9 was The Battle of Rogue River. Anybody know anything about that movie? No. 1954, Martha Heyer, George Montgomery, Oregon Statehood. Earnest, respectable, unexciting. All right. And at 4 o'clock on Channel 9 was Air Cadet from 1951 (laughs) with Stephen (laughs) McNally and Gail Russell. And New York Times says, Standard with some breezes. (laughs) <laughs> and then at four thirty on the four thirty movie. Now I know I say this like every time, but if ever there was like an archetypical four thirty movie that I would ne- that I wouldn't watch a second of, this was it. <laughs> uh, Von Ryan's Express Part Two. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it has its it has its uh, defenders. I'm I'm not one of them. I I I remember it used to be on TV all the time, all the time, and I finally caught time. up with it on on DVD and. Thought it was a bore, you know, and I and it sounded like something that it would be fun, you know. It's you yeah, know, Sinatra. World War Two spies and yeah, but uh, yeah, no fun. Uh, let me see if there's any other exciting movies, even in prime time. At eight p.m., Donnie and Marie had it, had their show. I watched it. Uh, I remember. Little and- Big Country. Now here, you want to hear what the guests, who the guests were on this one episode yes. of Donnie Marie? It's it's yeah. a, it's amazing how many people they would pack into these things. Charo, Vincent Price, who? Charo? Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, but pretty close. Uh, Andy Griffith. All right. Bo Diddley. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> he was a lot of rock. A lot roll. of rock and roll. And then wait a minute, are these all the stars of what's happening? Uh, Ernest Thomas, Haywood Nelson, yes. and Fred Berry. Fred Rerun Berry. Fred Berry, yeah. Greatest dancer. Now, I recall you uh, you met Haywood Nelson at Purchase. Did I? He freaked out over your Scream Blackula Scream poster. God damn. He liked it? That's right. Why was that? Yeah. Why was he there? I don't know. That's weird. Is he in that movie? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't know why. I don't know why I had that poster. I don't know anything about that story except it rings a bell. 
Yeah. Well, later in later years, and didn't didn't rerun usurp Dwayne's Haywood's Hey Hey Hey. Like did re, did reruns start yeah, doing that? Reruns started doing it, and then like he'd go on Howard Stern and start going, hey, "That wasn't your yeah. line. That was Dwayne's line." <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, now up against Donnie and Marie, though, here's a movie: Doctor Terror's House of Horrors. Oh, yeah. That's a, a Amicus Omnibus film, yes. right? Yeah. Young, I'll endorse that. Young Donald Sutherland in his uh, European years. Well, they don't even bother of, talking. They, they don't even bother giving it a review. They just mention Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Um, at 8.30, Merv it's Griffin. Old. You want to hear who the guests were? Oh, this is yeah. very appropriate, actually, and it makes sense, uh, given what was opening that day. Uh, Merv oh. Griffin had the Bay City Rollers. Uh, All right. Love them. He also had Nancy Walker. <laughs> uh, right. But he also had Jack. Quicker pick but he had, oh, probably promoting Blansky's Beauties. <laughs> the Happy Days spinoff. <laughs> wow. Uh, but he had Jack Klugman, who I guess would have been on doing his two-minute yeah, warning yeah. plug. I, yeah. I want that. I want to watch that. I want to watch yeah. Jack What's, Klugman on Merv Griffin talking about two-minute warning. Did you? I don't know if you talked about this in the episode. Was was Odd Couple still on the air in '76? It was still on, right? No, I don't think so. No, it was off. Oh. It was in reruns, but it became phenomenally popular in reruns. Sure. I think it was like a prestige show that was never highly rated during its original network run. Critics and its biggest fans loved it, but it was never, yeah, never yeah. really. A- but then it became like you know, in New York, uh, especially paired with the Honeymooners, it was like another Star Trek. Right. Now, here's something interesting that I also wonder if it had something to do with the fact that uh, Two Minute Warning was opening. Uh, at 9 p.m., cha- CBS uh, was doing a rerun of a TV movie, uh, May Day at 40,000 Feet, with David Jansen. Oh. I would guess coincidence. A lot of uh, maybe more disaster movies made for TV in the 70s than than in the theater, right? Between yeah. you know, Super Train and... Uh, or Super Train was a series, but... That was a what, show. There's, yeah. a, there's a train movie, and then there's the well, you know, the train movies. But there were those... There were at least two of those Entebbe movies, which are basically... Yes, that's right. Disaster yeah. movies. Two of those, and one was the TV movie with Charles Bronson and Peter Finch, and Yafet Koto as Idi Amin. Um, but Mayday... Uh, the repeat of Mayday at 40,000 Feet was up against on Channel 7, what seems to be its premiere of The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I watched that that night. I watched Donnie Marie and that. Oh, man. What a huge yeah. time for Travolta, right? Because Cotter's, yeah. on, Cotter's on the air, Carrie's about yeah. to come out, and Boy in the Plastic Bubble. I, I recently w- rewatched wow. Boy in the Plastic Bubble, and man, does that hold up. What a movie. That movie yeah. is it's just a a amazing. <laughs> Glennis O'Connor, we salute you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at 11.30 at night, they were showing a, re- a repeat of a TV movie called on Channel 2 called Forbidden Knowledge. Do either one of you know what that is? No. I'll read you the cast. Sounds hot. This is a TV movie. Anthony Quinn, Angie Dickinson, and Broderick Crawford. Wow. And here's the plot. A mayor finds himself protecting the girlfriend of a syndicate chief. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, and that was up against the, the, the Tonight Show uh, with guest David Jansen. Wow. So two-minute okay. warning. Universal yeah. was shoving them out there, man. Yeah. Klugman, Jansen. So Johnny had David Jansen. I, I would also like to see that. I'd like to see David Jansen talking about two-minute warning. Yeah. Um, uh, but he also had Olivia Newton-John. And the third listed guest on The Tonight Show was Frank Sinatra. Wow. wow. Holy shit. Yeah. I bet you he didn't guess. He just did a song. Came on at the end, did one song. and Did a song, yeah. Maybe, maybe even at the beginning. But now, as if forbidden knowledge in The Tonight Show weren't enough, on Channel 5 you had Love American Style at 1130. Oh, yes. On Channel 7 you had a rerun of SWAT. On Channel 11 you had The Honeymooners. But on Channel 9 you had a movie. You had 1972's Don't Look in the Basement. Wow, holy smokes, wow. That's a TV film, right? Uh, no, 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 it's like a Texas exploitation. Oh, movie. wow. William McGee and Anne McAdams. It's kooky. It's really good. Uh, I'll tell you the late night movie since, you know, what the hell, we're already here. <laughs> if, yeah, if you're go, still listening, yeah. that's this is what you want. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, first of all, at midnight, Channel 11 was running the Burns and Allen show. Oh, yes. Which is just kind of amazing to think about, right? Because those shows were from when? Go Gracie. Yeah, Gracie died in 64, right. I think. Yeah. So. And yeah. so they were from the 50s and they're still running them. Yeah. And ran them into the, well into the 80s. Yeah. Wow. Uh, at 1230 on Channel 5, 1230 a.m., The Glass Key from 1942 with Alan Land, Veronica Lake. Oh, so you could see the, the blue. Dahlia and yep, the Glass and the Key glass the same key. day. Right. Were they on the same channel? Uh, come on, move up. Uh, yeah. Yep. Channel 5 was bookending their day with Blue Dahlia wow. and Glass Key. That's the kind of like clever programming I came to appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> um, at 1235 on Channel 7 was Who Was That Lady? Do you know this movie? Uh, well, Dean Martin, right? Yeah, 1960. Tony Curtis, Tony Curtis, Dean Martin, Janet Lee. Oh, no. Snap. And here's what the New York Times says. Breezy, freewheeling fun for half an hour, and then a loud, messy nosedive. <laughs> Damn. At That's a detailed take. At 1 a.m., the midnight special. Who was the guest? Uh, well, the host was Lou Rawls. All right. And we had Neil Sedaka. God, this is like the worst episode ever. Dorothy Moore. Who's Dorothy Moore? I don't know. Uh, the Letterman. Oh, Jesus wow. Christ. And then Where's finally, that? England Dan and John Ford Cole. Ooh, wow, they're fucking awesome. I love, I love England Dan and John Ford Coley. One of them is the brother of uh, Seals or Croft. I can't remember. Right. They were all Dan, of the Dan Seals, fans. right? Dan Seals? Yeah, Dan Seals and England Dan. England That's him. Dan yeah, yeah. Seals. And they got his nickname because uh, he tried to affect a British accent during <laughs> Beatle Man. Isn't that that Billy Joe Armstrong? <laughs> and there was a hilarious story in the 80s where somebody got busted as an imposter in Westchester at a club owned by Big Pussy in real life, uh, <laughs> imitating... Uh, John Ford Coley. He would just go with an acoustic guitar and say he was John Ford Coley. <laughs> he was John Ford Coley, too. He's a like Gallagher, too. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, at 1.30 in the morning on Channel 2. This must have been the late show, I guess. 
But not for me. 1959 with Clark Gable. Is that Clark Gable's last movie? I guess. Oh, God. The Misfits, oh, the Misfits is, the last, is his last oh, movie. Which is right. 60, I think, yeah. Has anyone but seen not But Not me. For Me? Yeah. No. No. no from, not familiar. Clark Gable, Carol Baker, and Lily Palmer. Wow. And the uh, New York Times called it smoothly amusing. And it says Lily's okay. best here. Okay. All right. At 2.30 a.m., I got two more movies for you, and then we're really done with this. Uh, at yeah. 2.30 a.m. on Channel 4, get yourself a college girl from 1964. You oh, know that's, that? like a, that's like a Bob Hope? No. Nope. No, it's like a, it's not Dave Clark 5, but it's like a band, right? Like a, Oh, 64. Uh, Is it? I'll tell you the Maybe cast. Okay, it, please. Nancy Sinatra. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. who it is. Yeah. Yeah. Marianne Mobley and, okay. and Chad Everett. Beauty pageant. Yeah. So, it's, okay. so it's called Get Yourself a College Girl, the New York Times writes, and three aspirins. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So that would have been a, yeah, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know that right away. That would have been a proto-teen sex comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, last movie of the morning, of the early morning hours on Channel 2 at 4.06 a.m., Beyond a Reasonable Doubt from 1956. Oh, Fritz Lang. Damn. That might be uh, that might be his last American film. I can, I'm not sure about that, but that's uh, that's a good film. And is that Dana Andrews? Yeah. Uh, who's yeah? That's that's a very good film. Joan Fontaine is in it too. Yeah. Mm. Uh, here's a, a question one. I have for you at 10 p.m. On Channel 4 was, I'm assuming, a TV show. Because it's not listed as a movie. And you guys will go, oh, yeah, of course there was. Uh, Serpico. They made a TV show yeah, out of Serpico? With, uh, David Burney. David Burney. Oh, God, yeah. 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 Right, right, yeah. right. Phew. All right. Yes. We're gonna, well, this is a maxi episode, not a mini episode. Maxi episode, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I had fun. I don't care if anybody else did. That was great. I had a great yeah. time. It's good to see you guys. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Thanks. Send me your uh, send me your audio. Shall do. All right. Take care, everybody. Peace. <laughs>